the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, October 31st, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 287. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that'll take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Big Halloween edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast today. I'm Roan, here all by myself. I guess we're going to see if I'm uh, as annoying as Ben Shapiro or maybe as good as Rush Limbaugh. You decide. We've got a great slate of guests coming in here today. We're going to be sitting down with Florida Congressman Corey Mills. We're going to be sitting down also with Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville for the first time. We're going to be sitting down with UN Ambassador to the U.S., Rick Grinnell, and we'll be catching up with Newsweek Editor-at-Large Josh Hammer. Lots of breaking news. The House is getting back to work. It seems to be pissing off people in the Senate, especially Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. We'll see what that's all about. We're also going to jump over and check in on the big campaign weekend that Donald Trump had with multiple events in Nevada and multiple events in Iowa over the last couple days. And we'll round it up with kind of giving a little survey of the continuing war in Israel and round that out with some Senate committee work that was done today where the America First senators were grilling people namely Christopher Ray and Alejandro Mayorkas. But before we get into any of our headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody. Welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan, here all by myself today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started today, we're joined by the Florida congressman who represents Florida 7. Always excited to be sitting down with one of our great friends, Mr. America First, Congressman Corey Mills. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Roan. Oof, you've had a busy couple weeks, and I'm not just talking about the speaker race. (laughs) I want to take it back just a little bit, Corey. You know, we've talked to our listenership about it. We've put out the social media clips. We've, you know, talked with Erica and Silver on the show. But, you know, we just have to say from all of us here at Steak for Breakfast to you openly and wholeheartedly, thank you for everything that you do outside of your congressional duties. Because when that, you know, attack happened in Israel on October 7th and you got mobilized and started getting people out of the regions, one of the very first people you came into contact with and saved after some backroom you know, phone calls between myself, Erica Knight, who's a great friend of the show, and then some of the people trapped in Israel. You were able to bring our great friend Silver home to the United States and one of the first groups that you got out of Israel, Corey. And we just can't say anything other than thank you for all that you do. Well, it's an honor to actually be a part of the show and to be a part of these types of rescues. I mean, it's been really important to me to demonstrate that while the Biden administration may forget you or leave you behind or not prioritize American safety, that that's not the way that many of us who are elected officials feel, uh, you know, it's big for me to be able to have the opportunity and the capability and capacity to be able to help those in need. It's the same thing we did in 2021 yep. when our team conducted the first successful overland rescue of a, a mother and three children from Amarillo, Texas. And so, uh, so long as I've got air in my lungs and my heart's beating, I'm always going to be here to try and protect American citizens, regardless of where you are at home or abroad. That is a global responsibility. And it's one that I take very seriously. 
No, and we take the job that you do very seriously. I don't think our listenership will ever be able to comprehend how dangerous those situations in real time are for you on the ground. And then just the fact of the matter that you go above and beyond what you said you were going to do when you went up to Capitol Hill last year and and actually follow through on it for America first. You know, it's a... it's a shame the way that that thing played out with the Biden administration and the State Department, but we could just, you know, honestly thank God on this show that there's people like you who would take the next step and, and physically bring some of our American men and women out of there and back home. Yeah, it is a shame that we have to do this, but at the end of the day, like I've said in almost every one of my press uh, releases, if the Biden administration is unwilling to do their job, then I'll step up and do it for them. You know, our whole thing is that we continue to do rescues. We just on Friday got another 159 Americans out. But the whole idea is, is that why we're continuing to push media or push radio shows or push podcasts about what we're doing is to continue to increase the pressure on the Biden administration to step up and do their job, to shame them into actually stepping up and doing their job. You know, here we're actually still trying to conduct further operations and further rescues and evacuations. And the State Department just announced that they'll be stopping their charter flights, even though there's still Americans left behind because they claim there's not enough desire or need. You know, it's just shameful whenever you hear these types of things, because until every single American who wants to get out, every single American who needs to seek safety because of where they're located or who understand the geopolitical nuances where Hezbollah and the Houthis in Yemen and Hamas and Iran and the Syrian uh, rebels who are going to be trying to cross the Golan Heights or the Iraq-Iranian militias that are sitting up at the borders. Until you get every person out, it doesn't matter if you fill a plane a quarter full, a half full, or all the way. You have an obligation to protect those who actually are seeking help. No, it's it's the truth. And, you know, I, I saw some of that press conference from the Department of Defense and the State Department yesterday where they said they were going to be tailoring those downs be, because there were less people attending the flights than there was in the beginning. But my, my, my question is always, well, how many people in, in Israel who are either dual citizens or ones who are there as just Americans have the Biden State Department actually reached out to? My guess is probably around zero. But the fact of the matter is, is that that's just the way it is. And again, thank God there's people like you up on Capitol Hill doing the job above and beyond those. Well, Rome, they're, they're still reaching out to the people now, finally, that I've pulled out two weeks ago oh, that's and perfect. saying, hey, by the way, uh, would you like for us to be able to try and support you? Please fill out this form. These are people who've been home for two weeks. This is the exact, exact same thing in 2021 when Miriam and her three children were already sitting back in Amarillo, Texas yep. for three and a half weeks. The State Department starts to reach out to her and go, hey, by the way, we just wanted to see if you're okay and uh, we're still trying to work and coordinate a way to get you out. This is ridiculous that we're continuing to set aside American taxpayers' money to things like the State Department or USAID or any of the state and foreign ops operations, and yet they're failing to do it. In my personal opinion, when you don't do your job, you don't get paid. We need to be reducing FBOPs overall. We need to be reducing and defunding the UN. We need to start getting the Home Act in place for secretaries and directors who don't do their jobs so they can drop their salary back to $1. They should get paid by the actual merit in which they deserve. And right now, they don't deserve anything. They sure don't, and, and that's exactly what I want to segue to now. We're going to talk about spending. We're going to talk about appropriations and all the great works that have been coming into the House uh, You know, over the course of the last week since Speaker Mike Johnson obtained the gavel. Now, Corey, you, just taking us through the back end of that process, we, we had uh, Representatives Clyde, Klein, and um, Rosendale on the show on Friday. Great guests. They kind of did a before the event, through the event, and then moving forward. We want to take it a step forward now. You guys have already passed energy and water in the House. You guys are working hard to get other bills passed and, and get those appropriation bills done in a timely manner. But I just want to talk about, you know, 
it seemed like you were very close to, to new Speaker Mike Johnson. We obviously saw you there praying on the House floor before the vote last week. And I just want you to talk a little bit about the character of the man and then moving forward, the job that, uh, you know, the House Republicans are expected to do to finish out this 118th session of Congress strong heading into next year. Look, the greatest thing that we could have ever done is get someone who's constitutionally principled and faith-based. And that's exactly what Mike Johnson is. But he also understands American priorities. He's not been in D.C. so long that he's been corrupted or set up backroom deals. This is a guy who has actually gone forward and pushed heavily on the impeachment articles and investigations under judiciary. This is a guy who understands the number one priority right now is to secure our borders and to be physically responsible. He wants to open the government and keep the government open in a timely manner. But more than that, he wants to do it in a responsible manner. That's why, if you notice, when he's talking about any type of an aid package or he's talking about it, he doesn't try to force difficult votes where you lump everything together. Oh, let's do disaster relief and Ukraine and Israel, knowing that there's certain members who won't support Ukrainian funding because of the corruption and you know what's going on there, but will support certain Iron Dome funding to ensure that Israel remains safe or wants to plus up disaster relief fund, especially for states like Florida, who has you know, numerous types of disaster-related, you know, things like floods and hurricanes and tornadoes, et cetera, or, or freeze damage for agriculture. He understood that so much that he said, you know what, we will not lump this together, regardless of what the Senate, regardless of what the Biden administration wants. We vote on it as single-point legislation. We look at not taking money from the American taxpayers, but actually doing something which is a novel idea, which is taking and reallocating money that no longer serves a purpose. If you heard what Speaker Johnson has said recently, he said, if we respond to the $14.3 billion that's needed for the Israel uh, uh, aid package, we're going to make sure that we pull that money from the IRS. Well, think about that novel concept. How many Americans out there want 87,000 IRS agents funded? How many people believe that the IRS or the FBI deserves a brand new $1 billion building? None of them. If you ask every one of them, they would tell you, I'd rather take my money and put it towards things that are actually in good usage than try to continue to plus up the very the very departments or agencies who are weaponized against us. So this is the type of thing that Mike Johnson thinks of when he's looking at it. He wants a member-driven, not speaker-driven, and decentralized House of, Rep- of Representatives. This is a person who, in his very first act, when we elected him as our speaker designee, the security guys that were there said, sir, you have a press conference outside with a bunch of different press uh, outlets. He said, you know what? I'm not going to do that because it's not me as speaker designee who makes the decisions and which drives the house. It is all of us as members who are blessed, anointed, and uniquely positioned to be here. So if the press wants to talk to me, he should talk to all of us. And he let all of us stand there while the press came in as opposed to him yep. going out and Pouting as the victor. This is a leader. And that's what we need right now. I don't want a fundraiser. I want a leader. No, it's the truth. And, you know, when you talk about not just the America First congressmen and women who we always have on the show or some of the other ones that you see prominently in the news, you know, talking up America First policies, fighting back on the Biden administration, et cetera. It's a small delegation compared to the entirety of the Republican House. And, and when you bring in leadership like that of Mike Johnson, who seems to be more of servant leadership who, who's definitely yeah. dialed into the pulse of the American people, it's going to put pressure on some of these squisher votes in the Republican House right now to say, like, man, I've always just voted with the party, but now I actually have to vote with my convictions and what my people sent me here to do back in my district. And I think that adds a whole new context. Just when you see the decoupling of things like Hawaii aid, Ukraine aid, Israel aid, and border security all now separate and will all be worked individually – 
It puts so yep. much pressure on Chuck Schumer in the Senate and Joe Biden in the White House that they haven't had to endure at all under Kevin McCarthy's leadership. And I think that new dynamic is going to set you guys down the right path to finish strong into the year. It returns us to what we were originally supposed to be, as yep. our founding fathers had intended, where we speak as part of the voice of, you know, representing all of those constituents. My constituents, maybe they want me more towards some Israeli funding, but not towards Ukraine funding. Yeah. Others, maybe they want both. Other. But we have the opportunity now to individually vote on those to represent the individual voices of the American people. That's the way it was supposed to be done. That's the way it was always intended. But we've allowed the corrupt swamp to be able to put things into a package where if we vote against the package because there's something bad, then, oh, they can use that against us. We vote against for something because it's good, but it has other things in. Oh, well, that can be used against us. The whole point is, is that Speaker Johnson understands that we have to return back to single-point appropriations. We have to turn to single-point legislation. We have to start representing the individual voice of every member who represents their 750,000-plus constituency. He understands that he is not part of that corrupted swamp, and he wants to break the swamp's way of handling things, that he wants to stop the CRs, the omnibus, the minibus. He wants us to be able to operate as statesmen, not politicians. No, that's it right there, Congressman. And, you know, I think the biggest thing on Americans' minds right now outside of the economy is the refocus down on the U.S. southern border. There was a large delegation of congressmen and women from the Senate who headed down there this week. They, they obviously have Alejandro Mayorkas and Christopher Ray in Senate committee today. Mm-hmm. Listen, we Both know what, of whom needs to be impeached. 100%. And we know H.R. 2 is the most comprehensive border policy and, yes. and piece of legislation that's ever been passed in the Republican House. But our listenership also knows that with Chuck Schumer in the Senate, Joe Biden in the White House, let's just say it could pass both of their desks. Alejandro Mayorkas. Well, let's act- just go ahead and, well, the only thing I would correct is, is with Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell <laughs> in the Senate. Very true. The bottom line is, is that you have two Democrat leaders in there. And they're both pushing the same idea. The uni party is alive more than ever in the Senate. And that's why they won't pick up H.R. 2 to secure our border, because they're both fighting for the same thing, which is to go ahead and weaken us diplomatically, yep. militarily, and economically. Well, absolutely. Do you, do you think, though, that House Republican leadership is going to be able to figure out some creative ways to kind of urge them maybe with absolutely for, good? That's all we wanted to get a receipt on, and that's all we wanted to hear, Congressman, because, you know, I keep imploring our listenership. I see so much stuff on social media like, oh, how is Mike Johnson talking about this? Or how is, you know, this House Republican talking about that for Ukraine or Israel or wherever without doing border? And I always try to remind them, guys, it's already passed in the House. The process in the House is already Yeah, done. that passed a long time ago. Long the most conservative border bill that's ever passed the House, and the Senate has refused to take it up. And what Speaker Johnson has talked about is when there's certain things that the Senate's trying to ask for, we're going to make it to where there's a policy rider on those appropriations. That policy rider, top and foremost, is going to be our HR2 secure the border bill. We have seen what's happened with Hamas's attacks in Israel. We have seen where Iranians and, and hundreds of people who are on, t- on targeted uh, terrorist watch lists have crossed our borders. There is zero doubt in my mind that we have certain cells that are going to be utilized against Americans here at home to conduct certain types of violent one-off activities. But we have to start actually understanding that our power as elected officials is America first. We must secure our borders. We must ensure that we have a strong economical structure. We must get H.R. 1 passed low-cost energy access to put money into the pockets of American citizens, but also – Stop reliance on adversarial nations like China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea Correct. for their oil supply. We need to be drilling right here. We need to be supplying our own uh, LNG and natural gas, not the cash diplomacy of USA, where we're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to countries who hate us, which is why I voted down everything for USAID when it came to foreign aid. 
I want us to get back to protecting and providing for the American people. I want more money in their pockets. I want lower cost energy. I want housing affordability and availability. I want Medicare Medicaid to be reformed and actually improved without being a drain on our mandatory. We need to start thinking about America and America only so that we can actually be strong enough to be able to support our allies. If not, one day the call is going to come to support our allies, and we're not going to have the instrumental means industrial ways-wise or economically to answer the call. Well, for as much pressure and precedent that you're going to put on this administration for the rest of this year and through next year, Congressman, we do have a presidential election 12 months from now, and we'll be looking to make those changes to obviously make America great again. This has been great sitting down with you, Corey, obviously getting everything caught up to our listenership. They love hearing from you. We know how busy you are, and we really appreciate when you take the time to come join us. We're obviously going to be live linking your congressional website and the show today. But for anyone that wants to check you out on social media and continue to see your great works, where can they see you? Well, they can follow me at at Corey Mills FL or on Truth at Mills for Florida. Absolutely fantastic. Much as the work that you've been doing has been, sir, and we'll be looking to sit down with you again soon. This is the congressman representing Florida 7, but he's out there working for all of the American people. Representative Corey Mills, thanks for joining us on the show and getting things started. Thanks so much, Ron. We came into office during the height of a pandemic. Record unemployment. And because of our economic policies, we now are reducing inflation. We have created over 14 million new jobs. We've created over 800,000 new manufacturing jobs. Wages are up. And so we've seen great progress. That is a concern and, and a legitimate concern. Our democracy is on the line, Bill. And I frankly, in my head, do not have time for parlor games. What's the message to Iran? Don't. As President Biden said, just don't. Exactly. One word. Pretty straightforward. Well, first of all, I'm not going to engage in that hypothetical because Joe Biden is very much alive and running for re-election. So but you do are. know. I mean, that is a concern and, and a legitimate concern, I would say. I hear from a lot of different people a lot of different things. But let me just tell you, I'm focused on the job. I truly am. And there are many ways to define the leadership of our president, Joe Biden as even a quick review of his most recent... (laughs) As even a quick review of his most recent victories makes clear. I've been going around the world a lot lately. (laughs) It's good to be home. All right, jumping into the news portion of our show today, and uh, I'm Roan. I'm the only one here. Solo debut. Had a couple guest hosts lined up because Noah was out of the office. He's actually going to be out of the office for both episodes this week. And uh, had some things come up with the guests we were going to bring on to do the news with y'all. But life happens, and here we are. Uh, that was a little perspective into the most recent speaking events from the leader of the free world and his low IQ counterpart, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And, you know, we have to really take into consideration here just how close to the precipice of things popping off all over the world we really are. Uh, When you look into the hotness, the heat that is the Middle East right now combined with our old friend Cookie Monster, Vladimir Zelensky, very sad that the new United Republican House is working hard to keep checks and balances on him moving forward. But just the inept overall leadership that we've seen from not just people like Joe Biden and Kamal Harris, who are 
you know, essentially empty suits. All of his surrogates around him, Tony Blinken, Secretary Austin, Jake Sullivan, etc. So we're just going to have to, you know, kind of see how this all plays out. But I, I tell you what, having Colonel McGregor on the show the other day and then watching the news unfold over the weekend, seeing places like Turkey heating up, saying that they are willing to provide arms and aid to, you know, terrorist entities like Hamas and Hezbollah in theater, it's very alarming. It's very alarming that that's uh, supposedly one of our NATO allies and that, uh, you know, moving forward, we could actually be fighting against them, which would kind of throw the whole NATO thing into a tussle. But we'll have to see just how that works out. We're going to be checking in now on the Republican House and its newest leader, Speaker Mike Johnson. And he sat down with Maria Bartiromo yesterday for a little bit of an exclusive interview and talked about just how fast they have been able to hit the ground running since he's obtained the speaker gavel. Let's hear him. Yeah, that was very important, more than symbolism. As soon as I uh, took the gavel, our, our work began, and we passed the resolution, as you noted, in, in, uh, in strong support of our strong ally and great friend Israel. We had to do that. And then I flew last night to Las Vegas and spoke to the Republican Jewish Coalition, as you noted, uh, to, to send a further signal that this is an, a priority for our country. We cannot allow the brutality and the just unspeakable evil that is, that is happening against Israel right now to continue. We're going to stand with our friends. But of course, our objective is to reduce federal spending. As conservatives in the House, that is a top priority of ours because we're haunted by the federal debt. It's $33.6 trillion now, Maria. You address this all the time on your show. Uh, we have to keep that in mind always. We want to decrease the woke and weaponized federal government and its apparatuses and, uh, and reduce federal spending and make sure there's accountability. So all that comes into the equation, all that comes into the debate, and whatever that top line number is, we're going to work very hard to come in beneath it, and you'll see that, that work uh, happening here over the coming days. Well done, Speaker Johnson, hitting us off early and hopefully often with some apparatuses there on Maria Bartiromo. I liked it, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people who have come out of the woodwork to kind of harshly criticize the new speaker. And, and, and honestly, what the big thing is here, you have to understand that night and day changes aren't just going to happen overnight, essentially. You know, a lot of people uh, are saying that bills like ones for Israel or possible funding for Ukraine, we're going to get to that in just a second, this, that, and the other thing. And then they're always like, oh, the border, the border, the border, the border. Listen, I'm going to say it again like I've been saying it since the bill passed. The most comprehensive border bill in the history of our republic was already passed months ago in the Republican House. That is H.R. 2, the Border Security Act of 2023. It's currently DOA in the Senate, and let's just say if an act of God passed it through the Senate, Joe Biden would veto it. So for all of these people thinking that Mike Johnson can come in as Speaker of the House and him himself solely force border security to be passed in the Senate and then signed into legislation by our president, you don't really understand how politics work. In addition, let's just say it did pass the Senate. Let's just say Joe Biden wanted to pick up a W and actually sign the bill and made it into law. Would he at that point order and battle DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to enact it? I don't think so. You know, he's in a hearing today. We're going to hear from our favorite uh, man who does not have the data, Alejandro Mayorkas, a little bit later in the show. But sticking in this thread, I just want you guys to understand some things. 
you know, and that's that's addressing the border security issue there. Now let's talk about Israel. Israel already has, I believe, between two different entities, one is a little over three billion and one is a little under three billion, already pre-baked into the federal government. I know that they're presenting this new fourteen point six billion aid package for them in their war with Hamas. Hopefully it's just a one time thing. I think we'll get some receipts on just what it is, where it's going, and what it's for by the time it's passed in the House. But then everybody wants to hammer the Ukraine funding. Listen, no one's hammered it harder than us here on Steak for Breakfast. We even have a border wall counter. We're at 63 complete and total border walls that the U.S. federal government could have paid for instead of sending aid over to Ukraine. Okay? But there's been pre-baked Ukraine aid into the federal budget since 2013, a year before the color revolution happened there at the hands of the Obama administration. Thanks, Tory Newland. And you know, the, the thing is, is that for as much as we're going to be more heavily scrutinizing these things, breaking these bills down, actually having them audited, and for God's sake, reducing them, it's not just going to be like Mike Johnson gets the speaker gavel and the next day it's like Ukraine aid ends. There's already pre-baked Ukraine aid into the federal budget. Let's start working on the blind and broad aid packages for places like Ukraine. You know, $60 billion, $100 billion, all of our tanks, all of our munitions. Let's get all of that shit out of the way and then start moving forward onto things like, okay, what exactly do they need and is it comprehensive? Is it prudent? For our government at this point to be sending that over there are we going to be dangerously short on rockets or munitions or f-16s or the tanks or the armored personnel carriers or any other kind of military equipment before we ship it over there and if we are we're gonna to have to lean on our nato nato allies a little bit more and that's just the fact of the matter but i don't want everybody to think just just because you know donald trump calls mike johnson maga mike Matt Gates calls Mike Johnson MAGA Mike and that Mike Johnson got a unified vote to obtain the speaker gavel that in 24 hours or less, he can reduce all of the aid going anywhere to zero. That's not the way the government works. I wish it was. Maybe someday it will be, but it's so big and bloated right now that we have to start heavily scrutinizing what we've done. We have to audit what we've done and moving forward, anything that's presented, there has to be some cuts coming from other places. We're going to get into that right now as Speaker Johnson talked about his aid package for Israel. Let's hear it. What is your response and have you spoken to the president about his request to tie the money together uh, between Israel and Ukraine? Well, listen, we're going to move a standalone Israel funding bill this week in the House. I know uh, our colleagues, our Republican uh, colleagues in the Senate uh, have a similar measure. We believe that that is a pressing and urgent need. There, there are lots of things going on around the world uh, that we have to address, and we will. Uh, but right now, what's happening in Israel uh, takes the immediate attention, and I think we've got to separate that and get it through. I, I believe there'll be bipartisan support for that, and I'm going to push very hard for it. So there's that. And what essentially we found out over the last 24 hours is that all of these bills, you've got Hawaii aid, remember them, you've got Israel aid package, an aid package for Ukraine, and then border security, which is completely out of this. We're not even going to tackle it in the same breath. Foreign aid and stuff for natural disasters and like Hawaii are all going to be separatized and itemized. And here's the thing. The $14.6 billion aid package for Israel is being proposed, and if passed, 
will directly lead to $14.6 billion in reduced spending on the IRS. I think that's absolutely fantastic right there. You're giving to one, taking away from a wasteful another, and in turn, essentially making it look like these guys understand you can't just keep adding on to this annual federal deficit of over $2 trillion. Our overall national debt, which is at $33 trillion, should be $35 trillion by January, is going to be $50 trillion by 2025 if we stay on this trajectory. So Mike Johnson's kind of seeing all the receipts that Kevin McCarthy has left him. He's probably closing a lot of the doors in the backroom deals that Kevin McCarthy had open, especially with Democrats in the House, Chuck Schumer in the Senate, obviously his bat phone to the Oval Office. And we just you know, have to take into context, this is the way it's going to be moving forward. This is what you actually wanted in January. And I think if we would have started on something like this in January and worked it all the way through to now, not only would we have the 12 appropriation bills completely finished and the government funded, we would be spending a lot less money on sending shit elsewhere and could be focusing on things like border security and figuring out a way if there's any way to make a deal with the Democrats to get H.R. 2 passed. So give the guy a break, but don't give him any slack. You know, he said it just as much as some of the other congressmen and women who have come on the show have said it. Continue to call, continue to hammer them. It's like we said yesterday, you know, the vice chair of the Republican Party is up for a vote soon. And, you know, people from Mike Collins' team, they reach out to us and they're like, hey, we're getting kind of an online campaign going. We'd really appreciate it if you guys went ahead and helped us out. Mike Collins is a great guest on this show. More importantly, he's a great friend to stake for breakfast and to America first. He's been Trump endorsed. He's endorsed the 45th president twice in in back-to-back election cycles. And I think Mike Collins would bring a fantastic America first breath of fresh air to Republican House leadership. So, I encourage everyone that's listening to this show right now, just like you did with the speaker race, continue to call your congressmen and women and pressure them to vote for Mike Collins for the Republican vice chair, a vote that's coming up in a very short amount of time here. I believe it might be as early as next week. And here's the thing. Mike Collins isn't just known for his memes as he has been in the media lately. That man has had a successful, enormous trucking company for over three decades. He's heavily involved in things like aviation, transportation, the supply chain, the domestic economy. He's an expert on China. And as a private citizen, candidate, and now congressman, took it upon himself to go down to the U.S. southern border and see in real time what the situation is down there. So you want to talk about things changing and putting pressure on people like Speaker Mike Johnson to comprehensively figure out the way that we can reduce foreign spending and big old oversized bloated aid packages, get Georgia representative Mike Collins in as the Republican House vice chair, and we'll take another step in addition to Johnson obtaining the speaker gavel of getting there. Moving on now, Speaker Johnson threw some praise on some of his House Republican counterparts, namely Jim Jordan and Jamie Coburn for their investigations into the Biden crime family. Let's hear it. 
worked on the committees of jurisdiction, the judiciary is one of those. I, I think our chairmen have done an exceptional job. You've spoken to all of them, Jamie Comer and Jim Jordan and Jason Smith, uh, on oversight and judiciary and ways and means. They continued those investigations even while we were going through the tumult of the uh, speaker's race. They were still working methodically through that. I, I'm encouraging that. I think we have a constitutional responsibility to follow this truth where it leads. We're the rule of law team. We don't use this for uh, political partisan games like the Democrats have done and did against uh, Donald Trump twice. We are going to follow the law and follow the Constitution. And I think we, you and I have a suspicion of where that may lead. But we're going to let the evidence speak for itself. You know, and we told you on our last edition of the show back on Friday that if those photocopied receipts of, of Joe Biden and his family paying loans to each other via checks, which essentially is tax fraud, it, it, there's probably some fair violations in there in regarding to where this money was going and coming from. It could be any place from China to Ukraine and Romania and every other country in, in between Russia, of course, that they were you know operating amongst. But just over the weekend, what, what did we see? The House Oversight Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, the Joe Biden impeachment committee, all releasing statements online, all releasing posts on X, formerly Twitter, showing that, hmm, it seemed like the Biden family liked to pay themselves back in loans. That, that's essentially alluding to tax fraud. Oh, it looks like Hunter Biden paid a loan back to himself in the, in the amount of $250,000 right around the time Joe Biden did. Oh, it looked like Joe Biden and his brother were paying each other back in loans in 2019 while Joe Biden was on the campaign trail and running for the presidency of the United States. I told you guys, if they were leaking that old photocopied receipt of a check paid back from one Biden to another, they had a lot more. And now we're starting to see it. I have full faith in Jamie Comer. I have full faith in Jim Jordan. I think it's funny the way that Matt Gates trashes Jason Smith online as he uh, alludes to him as someone... Hmm. Who socially might partake in the activities of somebody like Senator Lindsey Graham, if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, scissor me timbers. Hmm. I'm going to leave it at that. And we're going to segue right now as we're really excited to be, uh, you know, having Senator Tommy Tuberville join us for the first time today. But I do want to remind everybody where you're listening. You should be downloading the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Our podcast is 100% free. All of our content, guests free. We'll never ask for a dime for the podcast. We'll never ask you to buy our merch because we don't have any. All we want to do is bring you that honest commentary, impactful analysis, and the most America first guests out there. Find a place that gets more of these guests anywhere else. I challenge you all. Do yourself a favor. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Find the show, follow the account, make sure it's downloading. And then across social media, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts and hit the notification bell after you follow them. All right, I said we were going to be doing a little segueing here, and that's just what we're going to do is we're getting ready to sit down with Senator Tommy Tuberville for the first time. Programming note, it was great starting off the show with Corey Mills today, definitely getting some of that backstory into the rescue situation that happened in Israel, talking about Mike Johnson's new speakership and what it looks like moving forward for the House Republicans. We're going to keep it in the House right now. I saw yesterday... Texas House Republican Chip Roy, chinless Chip Soy, was on with Varney and friends talking about the not work we're doing on border security. They got into a little back and forth, and I thought it'd be good to kind of hear some of the work that Chip Roy wants to get done for securing our border on Fox News. Let's check it out. 
So we'll see what happens between now and November 17th. But Speaker Johnson has a lot of work to do to get appropriations bills done over the next two and a half weeks and to set the table for an actual debate in front of the American people about making sure we take our country back and stop spending money that's driving up inflation, killing our economy, funding all manners of, of world engagements, and continuing to leave our border wide open for exploitation by terrorists and all, all manners of dangerous individuals that could harm us. Well, reading between the lines, it sounds like you are a holdout again and that uh, you are quite prepared to shut the government down. You are, aren't you? Yes, well, you are. Uh, let me just say, you are. well, no. let me say, Stuart, no. Stuart, the question here is, no. do you believe that we should continue to fund a United Nations that literally just stood with Hamas? Should we continue to fund a wide open border that is endangering my constituents where people are dying from fentanyl? Should we continue to fund the World Health Organization and all of these leftist organizations and rags that have been undermining our ability to have health care freedom around the world? These are questions that we should be answering and continuing well, I, a continuing resolution of a bloated one point seven trillion dollar spending bill that's driving the inflation that you report on every single day great dealing with the market conditions and the problems in our economy because our government irresponsibly spends money no i'm not going to blindly saddle up and say sure let me write another blank check for all of america to wonder what their leaders in washington are doing but i do remember was it three four weeks ago the, yep. the House Republicans rejected a deal that Speaker yep. McCarthy had worked out because he said it wasn't good enough. And we had three weeks where we didn't have a Speaker and the Republican Party was embarrassed up and down the wazoo throughout the entire country. That's what we had four person. weeks ago. Are we going to do well, the same remember, again? Stuart well, remember, Stuart, that I was a part of putting forward a proposal that would have reduced spending, secured our border, and kept the government going. Yeah, and you couldn't have the votes for it. You didn't have the votes for it. You didn't have the votes. Well... Under Stewart, that's true. So but guess what? Point? Now we have a, Congress, now we have what a speaker. What is the point? If you know you don't have the, you know you don't have the Stewart. votes. So you shut down Stewart, the government. So we're embarrassed all over again. All right, Stuart, what do you want to do? Sign up for the endless spending plan for our Democratic colleagues that's destroying our country? If that's what you want, then just bring Democrats on your show to continue to vomit out all of the ridiculous spending programs and, the, and my Republican colleagues who absolutely refuse to do their job and do what they said they would do. You know what? I don't agree with all of Chip Roy's policies. Definitely not with any of his endorsements when it comes to uh, those at the presidential level. But the man makes a point there. And then Stuart Varney is just an absolute idiot trying to bait him into someone in that interview was still coping and seething that Kevin McCarthy is no longer the Speaker of the House. And I'm assuming it wasn't Chip Roy. You know, it, it's one of those things that. You see these commentators, and it goes into the big scheme of things. So Kevin McCarthy probably opened up the door for many people to join him on his programming and give the Kevin McCarthy K Street establishment talking points. And now that Speaker Mike Johnson, and we're going to see more of an America First driven, a faith driven, a good stewardship driven speakership. These people are all frustrated that the only ones that they're going to be getting is Chip Roy and Matt Gates and Thomas Massey and Byron Donalds and Corey Mills and Mike Collins, you know, actually saying like, hey, guess what? You guys have been reporting on how awesome of a job Kevin McCarthy has been doing for the last 10 months. Hate to break it to you. He wasn't. And now we actually have just a year left to do all the work that we could have got done throughout the entirety of the 118th session. So switching gears right now and taking it up to the Senate. As we're getting ready to jump in with Senator Tuberville, Ted Cruz was down in Texas this week with Senator Cornyn, and they did a little tour of the disaster down there. Ted Cruz is pretty fired up on the heels of it as well. And then, like we already told you, Alejandro Mayorkas and Christopher Ray are in dual committees today. We'll touch in on at least one of those on the back end of the show. But, you know, 
it's it's those in the minority in the Senate that are going to have to whip the votes to either find a way to get HR2 passed as it comes up from the House or have them tailor that down and attach it to some kind of foreign aid that Joe Biden wants to be able to hold Alejandro Mayorkas to account and, and do the job that he is supposedly doing down there. There was some really damning testimony in that Senate committee hearing today. And again, we'll touch on it in a little bit. But first, let's hear from the Texas senator as he was pretty fired up after getting an exclusive tour of the U.S. southern border. Check it out. And South Texas is paying the price for the disaster of the open borders under the Biden administration. For the past decade, John Cornyn and I have repeatedly brought our colleagues from the Senate down to South Texas to the Rio Grande Valley to see firsthand what's happening. Because you cannot understand what is unfolding, particularly over these last three years, without seeing it with your own eyes. On this trip, we came down with five senators all together. We started the trip by going to the Border Patrol station and joining their midnight muster. And we took the opportunity to stand in front of the men and women of this sector in the Border Patrol and say thank you. Thank you for the heroes that risk their lives every day trying to keep this country safe. And I got to say, for the men and women of the Border Patrol to have their job frustrated and made impossible by the political leadership of this administration, by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Alejandro Mayorkas, is utterly disgraceful. The men and women of the Border Patrol are frustrated. They're deeply frustrated because they risk their lives apprehending people only to see, turn around and see them let go over and over and over again. You know, and we also saw this week there was a big court ruling that said the Department of Homeland Security, I guess they're talking about Border Patrol and those who are out, you know, protecting our homeland down on the U.S. southern border, probably on the northern border, too, is that they're no longer going to be allowed to break policy and cut razor wire uh, to allow migrants to come in. Let me just clarify that for you. If there's cases, as we've seen in the news over the course of the last couple of years, where people are like taking their babies and putting cardboard on top of them and sliding them into the razor wire, or if people are just kind of taking one for the team and jumping into the razor wire so they have to cut them out there in turn, opening up a, a place where more people can come in, it's not like we're just going to ignore that here in the U.S. government and allow for that to happen. People aren't just going to be able to take their babies and shove them under the wire with cardboard on top of them, and the people that work in the border and customs patrol are going to be like, oh, yeah, they said we can't cut it, so I guess the baby's just going to sit there under the razor wire. That's not going to happen. But I guess that court ruling is more focused on just not cutting it open to cut it because there's people, let's just say, on the riverbank that want to come in there. I guess the people that are protecting our borders are going to be directing them to safer spots. And again, they're going to be brought in and processed and released into the U.S. as fast as possible. That's just the way it is right now. So don't take into consideration uh, the big win that, you know, Ken Paxson had in court this week isn't a minimal one, but it's one that when it comes to the safety and, and preservation of human life, even though they are people illegally entering our country, they are still going to have to take actions to make sure there's at least some semblance of safety there. So that's kind of an update right now on, on the House getting back to work. We, we kind of jumped into the Senate right now strategically as we're getting ready to sit down with Senator Tuberville for the first time. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. 
It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day to day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home, and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the United States Senator for the great state of Alabama. Really excited to be sitting down for the first time and have a conversation with Coach Tommy Tuberville. Coach, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. Good to be here. And you guys have had a busy week. I'm sure you uh, have been eyeing everything that's been going on down in the lower chamber. I know that a lot of the appropriations process was tied into someone finally obtaining the speaker gavel. We here on the show can't be more excited for Mike Johnson and his speakership moving forward. It was a process and growing pains that we think in the Republican Party obviously needed to happen. There's been so much infighting there for years and then going back and forth between seven, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans wielding the gavel. Now that you see that them back to work already have cranked out one bill and are working hard on other, in addition to some of the foreign aid packages going out there. How do you see this shaking out for the Republicans in Congress right now? Well, it's good to have a leader over there. Uh, you know, they were running rudderless for, I guess, about three weeks. And we can't get anything done in the Senate unless they're moving forward with what they're doing. Right now, we're on the, we're in the, I guess, two-minute drill on the budget for this, this uh, uh, year. And so, We've got to get it done in the Senate. We've been working on it. I don't know how much we can get done in the next couple of weeks, and time's going to run out on us. We'll probably have to kick the can down the road for a few more weeks uh, so the House can catch up. But, again, it's just good to know that they're back working again to where we can get something done and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Up here, it's hard to get anything done because you've got so many hands in the, in the pie, so to speak, and uh, everybody's got to do their job. Uh, there's not, I don't have a lot of confidence in a lot of people up here that do their job and, and want to do it correctly. Uh, but that being said, I, I think Mike Johnson is going to do really good. I think the people around him now are confident that that he's the guy that can get it done for him. And so we'll see what happens. Yeah, we had uh, House Republican Congressman Corey Mills on the show a little bit earlier, and he was uh, kind of in the same breath as you, saying that, you know, this is someone who's an actual leader who doesn't need to take all the spotlight, who's going to delegate to the people that are supposed to be doing it and not worry about taking all the credit for stuff as long as they're getting back to work for the American people. So I think, like you had mentioned, that's kind of pivotal for the House being uh, having a success on the back end of this session of Congress and then obviously getting all of those appropriation bills to you in a timely manner. Coach, I wanted to ask you about, you know, there's a little bit of haggling going on right now over these foreign aid packages. Obviously, you know, something that is tied to the Ukraine and Russia conflict has been kind of miring down the the House and the Senate for quite some time now. But now we see that the Republican House is wanting to push up a a standalone bill for Israel aid, which is, uh, you know, not really one that's as cost driven as all of the aid that's gone to Ukraine so far. What Mike Johnson has proposed is that the $14.6 billion that they want to send up to the Senate would just take away from some of the things that are appropriated for places like the IRS and the next fiscal year's budget. 
I think that's pretty comprehensive. I also think it's something that gets the bill across the, the finish line as fast as possible. However, both Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer said it's DOA once it gets up to the Senate. So I saw that you were probably checking that out in real time today and want to give a little commentary on that. Well, this place is a mess, to be honest with you, uh, you know, on both sides of the aisle, not just Democrats, but also Republicans. But the problem that we're having is uh, I hope the American people really understand this. You know, the politicians have have got this country in so much trouble in the last 25, 30 years. We're dead broke. We don't have any money. So we're all trying to find money now to fight not just one war, but two wars. And then fill our budget, fill the needs of the American taxpayers, and quit running our deficit up. I mean, we're $33 trillion, and uh, we're looking at $35 trillion, uh, head on in just the next several months if we don't watch it. So it's unfortunate Joe Biden and his administration got us in these uh, – these so-called wars that we're having to pay for, the proxy war with Ukraine. I hadn't voted for a dime for that because I just don't believe Russia wants to take over Ukraine. I just, I, I, I'm a true believer that Russia wants everybody out of their business and they don't want Ukraine and the NATO, which they shouldn't be. And then the other wars just started up. Uh, uh, the Middle East has been on fire for years and you're in my lifetime. We know that's just been a, a cooking pot over there of trouble uh, at any time. Well, troubles is upon us. Now we got two wars at one time and Mike Johnson in the, in the house, they want to pay, you know, for Israel. And we, we should help Israel out as much as we possibly can, but we're trying to find the money. So they found the money and paying those, uh, 87,000, uh, IRS agents instead of hiring them, let's, let's take that money and put towards Israel. But of course, as you just said, Chuck Schumer doesn't want any part of that. He doesn't want to mess around with his his, uh, uh, I guess his, his, his baby, he would call it in the inflation reduction act. My gosh. I mean, that's the biggest waste of money in the history of money. Uh, but he doesn't want to give any of that money up, but I'll tell you, Mike Johnson's already said, if we're going to fund Israel, you're going to give it up. And so I'm glad he's sticking by his, uh, guns and, and telling Chuck Schumer, Hey, you're not the only man in town. I mean, you've got to go through us to get any money appropriated anywhere. And so, it's good to see him stand up, you know, for the American taxpayer. No, it certainly is. And, you know, when you talk about how you said there's so many hands in the pot and people really don't understand the nature or the magnitude of things up there in Capitol Hill and in Washington, D.C., it was such bad messaging. You know, we, you talked about the two wars that Joe Biden has essentially allowed to start under the course of his administration and throughout his failed foreign policies. But now you have the, the Secretary of State, who, should, in my opinion, should probably be on a plane trying to get some of these people to the negotiation table, the only avenue that the Biden administration hasn't gone through yet. But instead, Tony Blinken was outside of the White House yesterday with his son dressed up as Vladimir Zelensky as a Halloween costume getting candy from Joe and Joe Biden. I just think that gives really bad optics to not only the American people, but it shows some of our geopolitical foes that, hey, these guys really don't care what we do when we're, you know, causing this attack by Hamas into Israel or if Russia continues to pull, uh, you know, continue to feed their war machine down there in Ukraine. I, I'm in the demographic of you, Senator. I don't think they want to take over Ukraine. I think they want to just widen their backyard a little bit. So, you know, not only NATO, but the West, other Western allies will stay out of their politics. And, uh, you know, by Tony Blinken not doing anything and, and pretty much getting left on the tarmac by MBS in Saudi Arabia a little over a week ago, it shows that we don't really have a foreign leg to stand on right now. No, the we're not uh, feared anywhere around the world anymore. Nope. There's nobody out there that really says, hey, we really respect the United States of America now with the Biden administration, the way they 
handle foreign policy, you know, in, in all parts of the world, whether it's uh, the Indo-Pacific area or whether it's uh, Europe or whether it's uh, anywhere around the Middle East. Uh, as you said, Tony Blinken stood outside eight hours outside the door of, of uh, what the prince a few a few weeks ago, and he just kind of brushed him off. Yep. And they don't they don't respect these people because they don't know how to communicate. I mean, you got to communicate in any business. And uh, as you said, we should be negotiating. Tony Blinken should be spending as much time as he possibly can trying to get into Moscow or trying to get uh, Putin and Zelensky together to work this whole situation out because it's getting people killed. We're not accomplishing anything, and it's going to last forever if we don't stop it. We have to stop it. Donald Trump would stop it tomorrow. Exactly. It'd be over with. Yep. It'd be over with. But, I mean, these clowns over in, in this White House, I think they want things to be happening everywhere because the Biden administration has been so corrupt. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the, the, all the information on these guys. I'm shocked at this guy still in the White House, supposedly running our country which most of the time he's walking on the beach of delaware yeah but it's just it's just un unfortunate well i do want to talk about a couple of the other things going on right now you know there was a delegation of uh, some of your republican senatorial counterparts that went down to texas this weekend and, and got a tour from the border patrol and, and u.s customs i believe ice and uh aaron marine and got this uh, comprehensive look at the absolutely disaster that joe biden and alejandro mayorkas have allowed to occur down there in addition you had christopher ray and and alejandro mayorkas up in senate committee today where they both got grilled and, and made some pretty bad gave us some good receipts. You know, it, here's the thing. Christopher Ray says that we're probably going to have a Hamas link terror attack in the United States because of the U.S. southern border. And Alejandro Mayorkas admitted there's nearly a million people that have come into the U.S. that are considered getaways, and they have no idea who they are or where they are. When you see some of that stuff going on, I mean, you just alluded to Joe Biden still being allowed to hold office. You see these two, one's an appointee, one's a cabinet-level position that are just, you know, admitting that they're not doing the job that they swore under oath to do, and then nothing happens. What does it say for the current state of American politics? Well, I've been to the border several times in the last couple of years. It's a disgrace to the United States of America that we don't have enough common sense to close our border. Now, we've always taken some in, and that's fine. But they are just lined up by the thousands coming up through Mexico and, and through Panama and Venezuela and some of those areas. It's, 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 it's a disgrace to our country that you have a guy like Mayorkas that actually works for our government. I mean, he should be impeached and probably imprisoned. Yeah. The first time we have an attack in this country, it goes straight back to he, he and Joe Biden. Joe Biden has signed up, obviously signed some kind of pact with somebody to let everybody in probably just for votes. I mean, and that's what happens up here. People come up here just to get reelected. They don't work to make this country better. And that's what's unfortunate. The Biden administration is so corrupt. Mayorkas, Christopher Ray, they all got dirty hands. They know it. The problem is the American people better start recognizing that because we're headed down harm's way here in the next few years. We have got Hamas here. We've got Hezbollah here. We've got Al-Qaeda here. We got terrorists from all over the world here. They're setting up sales. We know it. They know it. The problem is it, nobody cares. The people in charge of this don't really care. They just want people to continue to come on. And they're, all they are is globalists. They could care less. But look at what's happened to Europe. Sure. They have absolutely ruined Europe with their immigration policies. And 
that's the direction we're headed. Yeah, you talk about places like Paris, France, and all throughout Germany, and then obviously there's no-go zones in places like the UK. It's just amazing how, you know, we've had guests on the show who are major contributors or they're former government officials. They still work in geopolitics who said, I grew up in town in, in a town in England that no longer exists because it's just being given up to the migrants. And and this town goes all the way back to like the Braveheart days. And, and in the course of 20 years, the town no longer exists because now it's like, you know, an Islamic stronghold for radical jihadism. And it's just, it's, it's wild to see that we're allowing the same thing here. I think obviously we're kind of still in the beginning of it, but when you talk about over 10 million in the course of less than three years, that's a, like Senator Kennedy pointed out last week in committee hearing, that's four Nebraska's worth of people have come into the United States, not including getaways. And that's just a ridiculous amount of people. Yeah. And, you know, if you just look at the other European countries, Sweden, is, yeah, the Sweden's having huge problems. They're raped up 600%. They have bombings every day. Now, uh, the people that they have let in do not assimilate to their laws and culture. Um, I mean, it's a disaster. Now Poland has elected, just recently, a left-wing radical uh, uh, group of politicians that's going to do the same thing. And Poland's been great. Uh, Poland has not allowed immigration. Now they're going to allow it. It will absolutely destroy it because these left-wing globalists want to change every country to what they believe is best for the world. And it's not. No, it's wild. And then... Uh... You know, when you talk about some of your other stances that you've had since you became a senator coach, you know, I think one of the biggest ones that our listenership appreciate, really appreciates is the fact that you ran as a pro-life candidate because you are a pro-life person. You didn't run as a pro-life candidate because you wanted to get elected. And then you have held that line so honest and true since you got to the Senate. And, you know, I know they come out with these hit pieces on how you're holding up generals and, and uh, you know, people who are looking for promotion in the Senate. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you're going to run on something that is part of your personal conviction and your actual beliefs, and then you don't do it in Washington, D.C., you fall into the category of just being like all the other empty suit politicians who are up there just rubber stamping things for who's ever the president or who's ever the Senate majority leader. And the fact of the matter is, is that I want you to give our listenership a little bit of insight on how strong you have to remain to probably, you know, be put up against all this pressure every day from not only people in the Republican Party, but obviously all the hit pieces. I mean, you had a former head of the CIA said that essentially you'd be better off dead a, a couple weeks ago. And, and you know, the, the thing is, is that you, we don't see very many politicians like that before. But I think in this freshman class of senators and then there's a small handful in the House as well. It, it's a big change and one that I think the American people are really appreciating. Well, you're, I think you're starting to see more and more. Uh, people come up here that's going to vote for their constituents and not for themselves to get reelected. We've got to have that. We can't continue down this road of people coming up here and just holding on to power and trying to create more power by, by staying for 30, 40 years. I mean, sure. it shouldn't happen. And uh, so, you know, I've got the holds on the military uh, abortion policy. And the problem that I have with that, number one, is taxpayers are having to pay for transportation and for three weeks paid leave to military personnel and their dependents, their yep. kids, to have an abortion. And uh, it just really makes me mad that Joe Biden and the Pentagon changed this law that was passed in the Senate, changed it with a memo. Uh, and last I looked, we're not a communist country. We don't dictate from the White House or the Pentagon. You want something changed? Send a law over here and let's vote on it. The people all across this country deserve the right to have their voice heard on the most controversial subject ever in our lifetime, and that's called abortion. 
And hey, it might pass if they send it over here. And, and uh, a lot of these Democrat states voted in. Hey, it is what it is. But let me tell you something. They're not going to do that with a memo while I'm here. It's not going to happen. So we've got a hold on all their generals and admirals. I hate to do that. Uh, but, you know, it's somebody's got to stand up for it. And also, you know, I'm I'm, I'm on the Armed Services Committee. Yep. We are in trouble with our military. You know, we got two wars probably getting ready to uh, um, we might have to personally get involved in. And our military is not ready. We can't. We, nobody wants to get in the military anymore because it's woke. Yeah. You have you have they're teaching CRT. They're doing all these things in the military that are changing the atmosphere of our military. We can't recruit anybody. None of these young men and women that have common sense that love this country said, why would I get into a military that won't let me stand up for our country? I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And so we're loot. We've lost the DOJ. We've lost the FBI, the CIA. We've lost our educational system. Luckily we've held on to the Supreme court only because of Donald Trump. Yep. And now they're trying to take over the, the military because of all this so-called extremism they're calling in the, in the military. Well, there's extremism, all right, and it's coming from the Democrats. Uh, they're, you know, we're, we're letting transgenders in. I mean, we're, we're becoming a joke across the world in terms of security, not just for us, but also for our allies. No, it's the truth. And, you know, when you just look at the totality of circumstances to see, you know, a shining light in there like you've been since you became a senator coach, it's, 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 it's a breath of fresh air. And it's one that we get a lot of positive feedback on. That's why we definitely wanted and have been reaching out to your office to get you on. And it's been great sitting down with you. Last thing I want to touch on really quick. I know you probably still keep a track on what's going on in college football. I know you saw probably the uh, latest playoff rankings just came out. And, and I, I want to know, I mean, you had an incredibly successful career at Auburn. I still still think you hold the record for uh, most times beating Alabama. And uh, I don't think six in a row, six Six in a a row, by the way, for the record, is anybody ever going to touch that? No, (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love it. You got a horse in this race though, as, as someone who's now a fan of college football and kind of gets to watch all of it instead of just focusing on your own program. Yeah. Since I've been out for six years, I've been able to watch other teams playing. It's fun. I do a little tailgating. I'd work for ESPN for a while and, 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 uh, commentated games a little bit, but, uh, I tell you, this year it's been it's been uh, uh, a very even match with about six or seven teams. Uh, if you look in the SEC, it's obviously Georgia sure. and probably Alabama in the championship game, and then you got Ohio State, Michigan. What else is new? But I tell you, the two that that really have surprised me that I think can compete with any of the teams in the East or the North is Washington and Oregon. Yeah, uh, Washington's a very good football team. Both have good quarterbacks. Oregon and Bo Nix. And, and so I think that uh, those are the six teams that probably the national championship will, will end up with one of those six, but I think it's going to be very competitive. Alabama's not as good as they've been. They're very young. Their quarterback's getting better. Uh, Georgia does not have a quarterback as we speak. And so that's probably going to put them in a tailspin when they get to the playoff time. Sure. And, uh, I'm not sure about Ohio state and Michigan. I, I haven't seen them as much. But I think the two best teams right now, if you put them together, I think number one it would be Washington and number two would be Oregon. It's big picks right there. So I guess you're saying out of the rest of the, you know, in the top four right now in the playoff picture, eight no teams only. So Florida State is a complete pretender this year, you think? Or they just haven't seen enough relevant competition yet? You're talking about Florida State? Yep. Yeah, Florida State's very – they're up there. they got to prove to me that they can, they can compete, uh, you know, against uh, tough competition on both sides of the ball. I like the coach there. I think they've got a good offense. 
I don't know how good well they play defense. So, uh, but they're up there and they're playing well. But I, I, I just got my doubts whether they could they could play in that 18 playoff and, and win enough games to win it all. No, I kind of agree with you on that one. So do you think it would be hard kind of coaching in this day and age now with the transfer window and all that stuff going on? It's basically, uh, you know, turned itself into a mock version of professional sports with the way players could just be, you know, starting quarterback on one team and then the next year he's starting for somebody else could be your cross-state rival. Yeah, the great thing when I was coaching is you could build your own team. You could go out and recruit 25 kids, hope to get 15 to 17 to believe in what you're doing stay for four, possibly five years, and just and outplay other people simply for the fact that, you know, they'd been around a while, a little experience and all those things. Now it's every year everybody's got a different team. Uh, these players moving. I'm, I don't like it. I think it's going to be the – it's going to really hurt uh, college sports as we know it. Uh, there's going to be a bankruptcy in some ways with some of these schools sure. that cannot afford all these other sports. Uh, but, again, I you know – uh, I'm I'm all for players making money, but for one player making three million and and nobody else on the team making any, I don't think I'm for that. I think it should be dispersed uh, a lot better than what it is right now. No, it's it's the absolute facts right there. You think that Coach Prime has been a breath of fresh air to college football? It seems like after a star-studded career as an athlete and then kind of up and downs in his personal life, he's really become a man of, of, of faith and a man of great conviction. It seems like he's trying to portray that on his players as he's uh, attempting to bring the Colorado program back to relevancy. Yeah, you know, I coached at my University of Miami back in the days when he was at Florida State. We had some great games, a lot of wide rights, and and uh, Coach Bowden was there, and then Coach Johnson at Miami, and then Coach Erickson. But I, I knew Dion as a player, and now I've known him as a coach. You know, he's going to tell you what he thinks, and uh, I think a lot of players are going to fall behind him if if he can continue to keep good coaches around him. And it's not really as much about. You as the head coach, it's as much about the people that coach around you that believe in the same things. I think Prime's going to be able to get the players. That's the number one thing. Sure. But then you got to coach them, and then he's got to get good coaches all around him. I think he's got good coaches right now. I like his offense. Uh, uh, they still got a lot of work to do. They got off to a good start, but their schedule got a little bit tougher, and they ran into USC and, and Oregon and, and Washington. But uh, I think he'll do fine if he'll stay there. And of course, uh, he'll probably have an opportunity to maybe move to the next level, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and, and we'll have to wait and see to get some more commentary on college football for the next time you join us on the show, which hopefully won't be too long away. We're obviously going to be live linking your senatorial website in the show description today. Coach, but for anybody that wants to follow you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, just Tommy Tuberville for Senate.com. Just tune us in, and you can pick up anything that we do. Again, up here, it's, it's a game every day. Uh, you know, we place. I used to coach on Saturdays, you know, in a game. But now there's a there's a game. But this is a game of life. That's what I tell everybody. This is not a game of sports. This is a game of life. It's very important. This country is in trouble as we speak. We've got to make sure that we get the leaders in place that will first stand up for the United States of America first and foremost. If we don't do that, if we don't get back to to some uh, credibility with our budgets and spending money and where we spend it and get our education back the way it should be. We're going, we're going to have huge problems in the future as we do now. No, I agree. And one of the greatest things I think about you, you being a Senator so far, you talked about having a great coaching staff around Deion Sanders. It sounds like you've put a great congressional staff around yourself. They were absolutely fantastic working with, and, and just for the way you've been able to uh, absolutely crush it since you've been up there, Senator, it's been nice talking with you for the first time. We'll be looking to come back and, and, and circle back with you again. This is the United States Senator representing Alabama in the U.S. Senate. Coach Tommy Tuberville, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. I just couldn't sit this one out.
But the Bible tells us that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And traveling across the country over the past six months, I came here to say it's become clear to me this is not my time. So after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. You know, Benjamin Franklin was asked in 1787 after they finished the Constitutional Convention, sir, what do we have here, a monarchy or a republic? He said a republic if you can keep it. The way we can keep it is we can put Donald J. Trump back in office. And as I stand here today, I want to offer my most confident and full endorsement of Donald J. Trump. So it was a weekend of hellos and goodbyes for the 2024 presidential primary. Donald Trump saw his former VP, Mike Pence, bow out of the race brilliantly that's ahead of the third Republican debate and allows for former president Pence, Mike Judas to think about what he's going to do as far as his endorsement goes. And with all of his Pence pack money, uh, hopefully to get behind president Trump and defeat Joe Biden, as it seems like the plan is formulating to this comes on the heel of last week where we saw Michigander businessman, Perry Johnson bow out and endorse president Trump as did a former gubernatorial candidate out here in California, Larry Elder, bow out and fully endorse President Trump as well. And then we had a very pleasant surprise from one of the Nevada speaking events that Donald Trump attended this weekend. That was former HUD Secretary Dr. Ben Carson, who's going to be joining us again on the show this Friday, take the stage and throw his endorsement behind President Trump for president next year. So a lot of developing News and stories, you know, obviously we're, we're keeping an eye on that case in Colorado where the 14th Amendment is being challenged. Again, you know, I talked to a couple of legal experts. I was in a good Twitter space last night with uh, a couple of lawyers as well. And I've been asking as many people as I know who, who got their finger on the pulse of this thing. It's the first case of many that will probably pop up across the nation. But here's the deal. Most of these cases that reference the 14th Amendment suggesting that Donald Trump should be taken off the ballot for things like insurrection are all pretty much just for show until they get to the Supreme Court. I also want to remind everybody that because the only governing body who could pretty much legally hold any forbearance over Donald Trump while he was president, that's Congress, has already acquitted him of the exact same charges. So what we're seeing is news stories now and and things that people are saying are super important pretty much are all part of the standard procedure that will eventually get these cases to the Supreme Court, where I feel obviously with the demographic there being 6'3 Republican, we'll probably see Donald Trump either acquitted or dismissed on all of these proposals to get him off the ballots in certain states. So we'll keep an eye on that. But, uh, you know, I want to talk about these events. Donald Trump appeared first in Nevada for the Republican Jewish Coalition's annual event, spoke there. He then went a few hours later to the Commit to Caucus event at Stoney's Rock and Country in Nevada, and on Sunday and yesterday was doing 
events in places like Sioux City, Iowa, um, where he received, in addition to Ben Carson's endorsements, endorsements of over 100 faith leaders in Iowa as well. So, you know, you have to look at the way that the Trump campaign is hitting this right now. The gloves are off, and not at any point have they played any kind of prevent defense. Just because Donald Trump is winning by 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 points in some polls doesn't mean that he's not only going to continue to take jabs at his primary opponents, which are all but inept right now, and land haymakers on Joe Biden for not only bringing us to the threshold of World War III, but for the open border, rampant crime, the domestic economy, etc. So we're going to hear from President Trump in a couple clips right now. First one is talking about how the American people aren't going to be taken advantage of anymore once he gets back to office. Let's hear it. I believe that this is the most important election in our country's history. I believe that our country has never been in a worse position. I think we have a very good chance of going into World War III because we have incompetent leaders. I will promise you, you'll never have World War III. You're never going to have World War III. But we have incompetent people dealing with very smart people. You know, they hate it when I say, President Xi is very smart. He runs China, 1.4 billion people. If I say he's smart, the president, he said President Xi is smart. Okay. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? But we have very, very, in many cases, evil people. In many cases, just people that want to do right for their country or they think they want to do right. But we have a leader that doesn't have a clue. We have a leader that can't compete with these people. We have a leader that can't be our leader. And I tell you something, can't be much longer. One year is a very long time. They can do tremendous damage to our elections. They can do tremendous damage to our country in one year. And we're not going to let it happen because we have a leader that doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And we're dealing on the most, most complicated. Well, it's complicated. It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. We are not going to be taken advantage of by foreign countries. We are going to bring our jobs back. We're going to bring our dignity back. Because right now, the whole world is laughing at the United States of America because we have a fool for president. And we are going to change that in 2024. It's the most important election of our history. And we're going to turn it around fast. Fact check, true. I mean, you see the way that Iran now feels emboldened. The leader of North Korea is traveling outside of his country for the first time in a long time to go to places like Russia. You've got President Xi landing in Russia for meetings. You've got Vladimir Putin landing in China for, for meetings. And you've got people like Iran and Syria who are, you know, have proxies literally attacking each other. Meeting, you have Syria coming back into the fold. You have Turkey for the first time in a long time feeling militarily emboldened. And you just can't disregard the fact that Joe Biden's failed foreign policy is the reason why the attack on Israel happened by Hamas on October 7th. And, you know, we've gotten to this stage of, of global crisis that we're in right now. It was great sitting down with Senator Tuberville and getting his insight on all of this leading into this segment, but we're also going to be jumping in with former UN ambassador, Rick Grinnell, who was also the acting director of the DNI at the end of this one. Plus, we've got Josh Hammer to give us a comprehensive look into just the totality of what's going on between Israel and Hamas and how Iran factors and all of that on the back end of the show. So buckle up. We're, we're just about halfway through, but we've got a lot of great content still coming down the pike here. Uh, President Trump would also 
be talking about where he's from. And I think everybody knows that. If you remember how much of a billionaire, playboy, philanthropist, etc., Tony Starkish he was coming up through his, his fame in, in the building sector before he jumped into media and did a lot of television, then, then dabbled in politics where he had a successful presidency. He just wants to remind everybody exactly what school he's from. It's not the uh, Wharton Business School. It's someplace else. Let's check it out. Hey kids, don't do deals when they come to you from foreign countries. And they did. They came from the richest countries. And we'd love to do a deal with you. We could have done anything. And you know, I'm maybe from the old school. Being president of the United States is a big deal. And I said, I don't give, I've been doing deals all my life. I became very rich. You see that in this stupid court case that I have in New York with, I mean, the numbers are much higher than on the statements. Everyone's saying, holy, this guy really made a lot. I did great. And you know what? I did, but I'm a private company. Nobody knows until now they look at these numbers and these numbers are much more rather than much less. I have this horrible, horrible racist attorney general in New York. We have a judge that's a Trump hater. We had a guy there, star witness. Did you see? It was like Perry Mason. Did you see? Yes, I lied. He goes, I, I lied. I lied. He's practically <laughs> crying. I lied. I said, that's the end of the case, right? The judge says, no, it's not. The judge is going crazy. But this is what I have to put up with. I could have a nice, easy life. I wouldn't be here with you right now. I might be at the top of my beautiful hotel down the road, right? Mm. Nice play. I'd rather be with you, to be honest. I'd rather be with you. You know, I'll be completely honest with you. There's times where President Trump goes through his policy platform, tells a couple stories, reads the snakes. You get classic Trump. This past weekend, heading into yesterday with some events in Iowa, the energy level has been taken up another notch. You, you could see it in his mannerisms. You could hear it on the way he references old things from his past, whether it be meetings with foreign leaders or even further back during his you know, times as a successful builder. And it, it just it adds element to say when this guy is like literally feeling it and is 100% on his game, there's not anybody that could come within a million yards of him and touch him because he shows you and, and gives you insight onto the things that, you know, the Biden administration has done everything in their power to try to erase from your memory. Uh, they did a good job with COVID, you know, kind of murkying up the end of, of President Trump's last presidency. But uh, the thing is, is that, you know, we, we cannot forget how prosperous this nation was, how safe and secure this nation was before the Democrats went ahead and implemented all of their plans to stop him from keeping the Oval Office in 2020. And I think moving into the 2024 cycle, you're, you're going to see him continuously remind you. And, and that's the best part about it. It's like, you know, there's so many people out there who keep saying, oh, Donald Trump keeps touching on the past. I was like, Donald Trump's the only person in the presidential cycle right now that has an actual presidency to reference. I, I think if you're looking for uh, top-tier talking points that you would make and put at the forefront of your next presidential campaign, it would be a reminder of all the good times. And, and uh, you know, for as many people that want to uh, incite the bad, I can't really remember a lot of them So because there weren't any. And, you know, you can ask some of our biggest geopolitical foes, ones who are still currently in power, like Vladimir Putin, or ones who are no longer with us, like al-Baghdadi and Soleimani. So... You know, it, it's just a, a quick re little reminder and, and leads me into my next point. You know, Donald Trump definitely talked about at the uh, Republican Jewish Coalition, uh, touched on Israel, his solidarity and, and shoulder to shoulderness that he stands with Bibi Netanyahu and the Israeli people, reminded everybody of the amount of work he did to support Israel as our largest geopolitical ally, and then talked about, 
little bit of retribution for what happens when, uh, you know, these guys go and, and either in, in foreign lands attack U.S. soldiers or, or want to propitiate violence here in the United States. And, and what, it, what it's worth to Donald Trump on a larger scale. Let's hear it. When I'm back in the White House, America's enemies will now once again, and they're going to know it, that if you try to kill our citizens, we will kill you. We will kill you. I told them all that. We had no problem. You know, we had no problem three years ago. We had no problem for four years. Nobody even, this is unthinkable. I mean, I just watch and see what's happening. It's unthinkable. This couldn't have happened, Mark couldn't have happened. Although you maybe were more deeply involved than anybody, but I don't think you even believed a thing like this could have happened, Mark. If you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. Mm. We do not. I definitely like that foreign policy, especially when it comes to international terrorism and, and radical Islamicism. You know, it, it, it's one of those things where these people knew. Remember Abdul? Donald Trump's great friend, leader of the Taliban, Abdul. Oh, why, oh, why, President Trump, did you send me a picture of my family's house? Well, you could either ask Baghdadi. Oh, you can't anymore. He blew himself up in an escape tunnel, and as President Trump mentioned, cried like a little bitch in doing so. Or you could ask a Soleimani. Oh, that's right, we just staged his hand with his iconic ruby ring on the tarmac with the rest of his smeardness after we decided to uh, end his candidacy to continue to kill maim and, and you know forever injure u.s soldiers in places like afghanistan so donald trump looks as though he's aiming to take that foreign policy to a new height so i, I definitely think it's something that we need to take for account and use the receipts that donald trump backs up what he says guys i just want to remind everybody wherever you're listening to the show today whether it's on apple spotify google podcast or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're following the show all of our content is free. All of these great guests come to us and are delivered to you bi-weekly every month for 100% zero dollars. Defeat the mainstream media, break through the paywall, and follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It helps us out in the Apple Top 100. It helps us out in the suggestions and algorithms on your podcasting app. When you type in politics and you're looking for something new, Steak for Breakfast will then come up, etc. Then across all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Hit the notification bell after you follow us everywhere. Again, we're going to be jumping in with Ambassador Rick Grinnell in just a few minutes. Got some more of these Trump speaking events that I definitely want to hit and cover. And, you know... We talked about when Donald Trump is absolutely at the pinnacle of his A-game, and it's when he goes back to the jokes, the ones that he knows are fuel for the memes, the ones that he knows are the ones that drive the mainstream media crazy, and I've got two clips right now of some of his absolute heaters. Let's hear them. But people in politics, they ask me questions, who's worse, business people or politicians? I said, absolutely business. This is the first month. Absolutely, business people are worse, worse, worse. Then about four or five months go by and we start, you know, they start doing their number with the impeachment hoaxes and Ukraine, 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 Russia, 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 making up the fake dossier by Hillary, right? She hires some guy that admitted, I'm sorry, it was fake. How about going home to my wife on the shower, you know, the golden shower, they called it. <laughs> and I had to explain that to our great first lady. I had to explain, they said, sir, they said when you were in Russia. Well, I was with us, I was there for so short a period. And they said, 
this thing with the golden shower. And I said, I didn't care about the other stuff. The other stuff was, you know, nuclear. This, I didn't worry about that. The golden shower was a problem for me. And I said to our great first lady, Golden, she said, nope, that one you didn't do. See, I'm a germaphobe. She said, that one you didn't do. So she knew immediately I had no problem there. I said, whew, that was a close one. He's a fat pig. They shouted out. Chris Christie is a fat pig. Then they shouted out, Bill Barr is a fat pig. He's a slob. He's a fat pig. You're not allowed to use the word fat. You're not allowed to say that. So they say, Bill Barr, sir, he's a fat pig. And I say, listen, Bill Barr is not a fat pig. Chris Christie is not a fat pig, sir. I defend them. And the press goes crazy because they say, how can we criticize him? He's actually defending. But I said that because I just heard somebody call somebody a fat pig. No, we're not allowed to call those guys fat pigs. You can't use the word fat anymore. You can't use almost anything anymore. Almost any word that you use today, if you say to a woman backstage, a woman came up, the wife of one of our people, and she looked very beautiful. I said, I'm not allowed to say this, and this could be the end of my political career, but you're really beautiful. Beautiful woman, you have a beautiful wife. And you know what she said? Thank you, sir. You can say it as much as you want. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. When you get that part of President Trump, which is kind of like uh, an inside peek into his actual the comedic sense that he has and how he can just people always used to say like, Oh, I don't understand how some, you know, playboy billionaire who, who builds these massive hotels and casinos and, and, you know, pees into golden toilets, not golden showers, but you know, could I just go down to the hardworking blue collar American man and woman and look them in the face and, and resonate with them and tell them like, I understand where you come from. And I want to support you in doing better. And when you hear Donald Trump talk like he's not addressing the nation from the Oval Office and when he's just, you know, meeting up with some friends at a barbecue, it's it, it really does bring back that American phenomenalism that we seem to be lacking right now. All joking aside, he is making fun of, you know, Chris Christie and Bill Barr and then talking about how, Melania Trump was more worried about <laughs> the media making fun of him getting golden showers instead of the nuclear secrets or being a Russian agent. But, you know, that's just the kind of world we live in now where anybody can make any kind of accusation. And at the end of the day, if the media runs with it, we still haven't figured out a way to put the toothpaste back in the tube. So, you know, I do want to look at some polls that have come out recently on President Trump as well as we're getting through this segment right now. We're going to be jumping in with Ambassador Grinnell in just a bit. First one I've got right here. First choice for nominees, likely South Carolina voters. This came out today, which is Tuesday. We've got Donald Trump at 53%. Hometown advantage, Nikki Haley at 22. Third place, Ron at 11. Tim Scott, 6. Chris Christie, 2. Vivek Ramaswamy, 1. And then Doug Burgum and Ada Hutchinson, not polling. So, you know, it's, it's just phenomenal to see that in a place where you have two people from South Carolina, and you could argue that Nikki Haley and Tim Scott are splitting the vote there amongst themselves, but that still only equals, I, I believe, 17% total and uh, maybe a little more. It's still more than 20% down against Donald Trump in a head-to-head. So even if one of them were hypothetically uh, you know, going to back out, the votes, let's just say they got Tim Scott backed out and gave Nikki Haley 100% of the, his points. 
she would still be more than 20 points down on Donald Trump. I saw Iowa uh, GOP caucus, which came out yesterday, a very important poll. Donald Trump, 43%. That's plus one from last month. Ron DeSantis has dipped 3% to 16. Nikki Haley tied with Ron DeSantis for second and third place at 16 as well. Tim Scott, seven. Chris Christie, four. He's not a fat pig. Don't say it. Vivek, 4%. Doug Burgum, three. Ada Hutchinson, one. And that's the change from August to October. So I'm going to see. Let's see. Do we have any more? I believe there was one more poll I had. I want to check in on it right now. Here it is, a new 2024 National Republican primary poll, which came out today, which is Tuesday, has Donald Trump currently at 61%. That's a 48-point advantage over Ron DeSantis, who's at 13, Nikki Haley at 7, and Vivek Ramaswamy at 7. That's just in a poll of those four right there. You know, it's it's... I'm really thankful that Perry Johnson and Larry Elder and Mike Pence have gracefully bowed out. They understood it. Um, you know, but the fact of the matter is I think what we're going to see, and this is just me, and this is after Ron DeSantis' abysmal appearance on the PBD podcast yesterday where they showed him the boot meme. They showed the video from his uh, gubernatorial the first time he ran and had, you know, he essentially did a Make America Great Again Trump video for his campaign. These people are just going to stubbornly stay in. The way I see it right now and how the mainstream media is kind of getting behind Nikki Haley, she's going to be the next Ron DeSantis. Tim Scott will probably at some point in the near future get out. And because they're both from South Carolina, nothing against President Trump is just going to systematically endorse her. So he'll bring in some of his there, and then the rest of his points, his very few points, will get filtered amongst the other candidates, including President Trump. And, you know, at some point, Nikki Haley is going to have to put the pressure. It's probably going to come with the last, hopefully, GOP Republican debate next Wednesday in Miami really put the pressure on Ron DeSantis to at which point he'll bow out. I think the mainstream media and the print press, the global lobbyist groups and all of their adjacent apparatuses are going to want to have a Nikki Haley, Donald Trump head to head matchup. But here's the thing. Nikki Haley only said good things about Donald Trump. She went and essentially let him know face to face. She was running for president as well. And I don't think that plan's going to really be able to, you know, work out the way that they want it to. So I, I think, you know, we'll just keep an eye on it like we always do, and and we'll continue to uh, track these poll numbers. As it seems like even though Donald Trump's only going up by small margins now, there's only so much left uh, of the overall points to be able to, you know, continue to increase his lead. Donald Trump did segue from the jokes and talked about in Iowa – how much of an honor it is to have to go through this lawfare that's waged against him. But he also reminds the people, you know, all the time that it's him that's making the precedent for it right now. But once they're finished with him, if we don't get him back in the White House, they are most likely and, and almost certainly coming for you next. Let's hear it. Every time the radical left, the Marxists, the communists, the fascists, every time they indict me, I consider it a great badge of honor because I'm being indicted for you and never forget our enemies want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. It's very simple. Very simple. They want to silence me because I will never let them silence you. We're not going to let them silence you. And in the end, 
They're not after me. They're after you. I just happen to be standing in their way, and we're going to keep standing right in their way. True story. And, uh, you know, when you see the people directly connected to him in far of the legal context goes, you know, you're talking about all of his lawyers that served in White House counsel and ones that were his private attorneys that in places like Georgia, you know, they're trying to, in some cases, throw in jail. What's the next step after that? So they're done with the lawyers. They'll go down to the surrogates. They're done with the surrogates. Let's extend out to the campaign staff. We're done with the campaign staff. Let's start going to the volunteers. Oh, shit, the volunteers is the regular people. And, you know, based on how bad they've done a job with persecuting and prosecuting the people that supposedly participated in bad things on January 6th, again, we don't give any grace to the people that really did property damage and injured police officers, you know, Etc. But the fact of the matter is there were people that weren't even Washington, D.C. right now who are sitting in jail uh, because they thought, you know, what happened on that day was a good thing and, and may have proprieted it on social media. So very alarming and, uh, you know, a warning to everyone listening as the way President Trump kind of lays it out there for the American people, especially the base and, you know, his, his voter constituency. So closing out right here as we're getting ready to jump in with Ambassador Grinnell, I did get one of his closeouts. This one's from the second event he did at the Stoney's Rocking Country in Nevada this weekend. Let's hear it. Be there. We got to win the caucus big, big. And then we got to go on most importantly, because we're going to do great with our caucus, but we have to win in November. We have to win. We have to get rid of this corrupt regime of people that don't know what they're doing. We love you. Thank you very much. Sign up. Thank you. We will see you soon. We'll be back a lot. Thank you very much, everybody. So, you know, we, we will uh, continue to track everything that's going on with President Trump, as we always do here on Steak for Breakfast. Obviously, his major speaking events, we're going to bring you guys the highlights from that and point out a lot of the new content and policy-driven measures that he's working into those. In addition to, obviously, the funny parts, we're going to get some commentary on the success that President Trump has had on the campaign trail, especially lately, including the endorsement of Dr. Ben Carson, which came over the weekend right now with former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Rick Grinnell. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. Hi, this is Beardo over at Beard Vet Coffee. What's wrong with America today is that Americans are putting convenience over values. We need to start thinking about our dollar as a vote. We need to start using those dollars to support companies that believe in our values and aren't afraid to take a stand. That's us at Beard Vet Coffee. We're not another pretend conservative company that puts a pew-pew on the packaging to fake align with our principles. We don't identify as America first, we live America first. We're vet-founded, vet-focused, and obviously bearded. So, if you haven't had a cup of beard vet, buy a bag, help us continue to support veteran charities every month. And as we always say, stay awake, not woke. Use promo code STEAK for 10% off your order. 
All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the former acting DNI in the Trump administration. He was also longtime serving U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. Joining us again, Mr. Rick Grinnell, Ambassador. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure when you're on. Let me tell you something. This world that we live in right now has changed so much just in the two months it's been since you've been on the show. Much to do with your travel, but we're glad to have you back. Listen, I think the most appropriate place to start off is is the Middle East. Obviously, we saw the awful, horrendous tragedy that happened in Israel when Hamas attacked them uh, inadvertently on October 7th. And, and just in the few weeks since then, we've seen so many other players in the region kind of come back to the forefront. A lot of the baddies that we had to deal with uh, prior to President Trump being president. I mean, obviously, President Trump was able to make them all essentially bend the knee, but it seems like based off of Joe Biden's failed foreign policy and the weak, empty-suited leadership that he has in places like the Department of Defense and the State Department. Everybody feels emboldened again, and everybody wants to be saber-rattling in, in, in a time like we haven't seen since probably World War II. I mean, if you just step back and think about what's happening, we have a major war in Europe, and we have a major war in the Middle East. And I would argue that both of them were largely contributed by uh, the weakness of Joe Biden. I'll, I'll first take the war in Ukraine. You you had Chancellor Merkel really begging the Trump administration to drop the sanctions on the Russian pipeline known as Nord Stream 2. And we wouldn't do it. We said, no, it's a, it's a bad idea and we're not dropping the sanctions and we're not going to allow it to be operational. When Trump left office and Biden came in, Merkel raced over to Joe Biden and said, hey, don't you want to get along with the Europeans? Don't you want to have like uh, claps when you come in the room in, in Europe? Uh, listen to the roar of the crowd. We we want you to, to uh, be closer to us. We want to like you, but you need to drop the sanctions on this Russian pipeline. And Joe Biden did it. And the Senate Democrats did it. You can go and Google all of the speeches that Democratic senators went to the floor of the Senate and said, we're dropping these sanctions on this Russian pipeline. We don't think it's a good idea and we think it's going to cause more conflict. This is what what people like Chris Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, what he said. Go read his his speeches. These people were not only wrong, they were absolutely uh, 180 degrees wrong. And that's concerning to me because... Joe Biden and the Senate Democrats dropped the sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And Putin saw that as weakness, saw Europe as bending the knee. And, uh, you know, they were trying to get the Russian pipeline up and operational. And he launched a war in Ukraine, just like he did under the Obama-Biden days. Now, fast forward to another weak policy, uh, which is Joe Biden looking at Iran and dropping the international sanctions that Trump had and trying to trust Iran, despite the fact that they've lied about the amount of heavy water they've used for their uh, their nuclear programs, despite how many centrifuges they have, they lied about it. John Kerry fell for that. Wendy Sherman fell for that. Rob Miley fell for that. Anthony Blinken fell for that. All these sure. people, they trusted Iran and then suddenly... They're trying to normalize relations. Bloomberg News had in August of this year a story that said the Biden administration is feeling very upbeat about their uh, diplomacy with Iran because it's normalizing and, and they've given them tens of billions of dollars. And they believed 
that normalizing relations with Iran would would make America safer. And look what happened. It, it made us less safe. Their strategic vision, their policies are literally making America less safe. Yeah. And so I would argue that the opposite of America first is consensus with the Europeans. No, it's it's the truth. And then when you look at, you know, just the the cold shoulder that for the first part of the Biden administration they gave to Israel and to Bibi Netanyahu as he was kind of going through that whole crisis right there with judicial reform and all the stuff that they had going on over there with their government. You you see now after the attack from Hamas, USA has had to come back to the forefront and, and show itself in solidarity with Israel. Obviously, that wasn't as much of a problem as when President Trump was. I mean, <laughs> they've renamed part of the Golan Heights, the Trump Heights. And, and you know, President Trump's relationship with, with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was that of two of the strongest leaders in the world standing in solidarity. I mean, they may have had their differences on some of the things like the Soleimani, um, you know, attack or, 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 you know, congratulating Joe Biden after the presidential election. But when it came down to it, brass tacks, there was no stronger ally to Israel to anti combating anti-Semitism in the United States and, and overall propping up the Jewish nation than, than President Trump was. That's been well documented from people on both sides of the aisle, not only during his presidency, but especially after. And when we see ourselves in this situation now to where it looks like Biden, you know, the only thing that their administration could do to, from their standpoint to solve any problem on the planet is just to throw money at it. So now they're asking for ridiculous amounts of funds to go to places like Ukraine still now to Israel and, and any other hotspot on the planet. And, and if you look at some of the aid that's already pre-baked into the federal government, like foreign aid for Hamas and, and, and stuff like that, some of the longstanding uh, deals that we have in, in worked into our federal budget with Russia, we're essentially funding both sides of these conflicts, but we're not doing anything to mediate them to get back down to, you know, a, a level that's not as hot as someone who played probably the biggest foreign diplomat on the world stage for quite a long time and did it extremely well. Ambassador, what are we missing right here? Besides the fact that we have to send empty suits like Tony Blinken and, and, and you know, Secretary Austin out to places like, you know, Saudi Arabia and Iran and Israel and, and such, but the fact that it just seems like no matter where they go, they're either shunned, ignored, they're stood up for meetings like Tony Blinken was in Saudi Arabia a few weeks ago, or, or, or they just, you know, don't have any answers. Look, when, uh, when the Biden administration really gave a stiff arm to the Israeli leader, uh, we weren't the only ones to notice. Iran noticed. Yeah. And and I think that's more important is that uh, when when Biden messes up, when he shows weakness, when he pushes an ally like the Israeli leader away, uh, Iran hears a very strong message. They, they see that that message very clearly. And I think that's part of of the emboldenedness of the Iranian regime that we see. Uh, I will say that President Trump has stood firmly with Israel um, and he's been able to separate whoever the leader of Israel is sure. with um, making sure that he is making decisions about what he thinks is best for Israel. And that's not necessarily, uh, as you point out, a couple of points, but it's not always what Bibi Netanyahu has wanted. But the president has been focused on Israel and what that means for Israel's security. And I, I think the reality is, is we would not be having this war in Israel. Hamas would not have attacked if Donald Trump were president. And I don't believe that we would be having the war in Ukraine uh, if Donald Trump were president. President Putin would see very clearly not to mess with uh, President Trump. And I'll also go so far as to say President Trump 
has a great relationship with uh, the leader of Turkey, Erdogan. Yeah. And now what we see is more weakness from the Biden team where uh, Erdogan, a, a, a member of NATO, Turkey's been a member of NATO since 1952. Um, and, and now that relationship is deteriorating. We need, we need diplomats who will get on a plane, whether it's Jake Sullivan or Anthony Blinken, get on a plane and go to Ankara and start talking to the leaders in Turkey. Yeah, not just go over there for a photo op and not just make, you know, pointed statements towards them from the other side of the the planet. It, it's definitely one thing that you were able to master when you were an ambassador for the UN, uh, Ambassador Grinnell. And, you know, it, it's just the one thing that we're lacking here. I thought at some point someone might twist an arm behind closed doors for this Biden administration and be like, you know what? All right. The millions and billions of dollars that are going into this is one thing. We have to get these sides to a table to sit down and we just haven't seen it. You know, we had a, we started the show today with Florida representative. He's part of president Trump's Florida reelection team as well. Congressman Corey Mills. I don't know if you know this. I'm sure you know him though. He was one of the people that went into Israel above and beyond the state department and was pulling people out of there shortly after the attack on October 7th. He actually saved one of my and my co-host Noah's actual real life friends who reached out to us through a third party and said, Hey, we're trapped in the state department says like shelter in place. Like we're pretty close to, you know, where it's getting hot in Northern Israel right now. We don't want to stay here anymore. So I was thinking of all these people that I knew. I reached out to people that used to work in the state department here, there. And then I just randomly texted him and long story short, within like 20 minutes, he's like, I'm on the ground in Israel. We will go get them. And, and within 22 hours, they were on a plane heading back home. So, you know, when you talk about the work that people are doing outside of the Biden administration, it is getting done, but it's just not the diplomatic avenues that I wish, you know, that they would take in this situation. Well, I don't know if you saw, but Anthony Blinken went to the White House to uh, attend the Halloween party. With <laughs> I was waiting for you to bring this up. <laughs> and his his son was dressed as Zelensky. Yeah. Now, I'm a big fan of Halloween. Uh, I have lots of nephews and nieces, and uh, I, I think it's it's adorable when they dress up sure. and and participate in this holiday. I love it. But if I were the Secretary of State, I'm not sure that I would have time to be attending uh, attending Halloween parties. Shouldn't he be on a plane talking to other foreign ministers and talking to other countries about peace in Ukraine? Where's the where's the the deal? Uh, we we need to have some sort of a a peace deal that we can at least offer and push forward in Ukraine. And I also believe that when there are hostages in Gaza, American hostages, I don't believe that the Secretary of State should be attending a Halloween party with his son in Washington, D.C. When we have American hostages, get on a plane, the plane that he has access to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and go with our Arab allies to rescue these people. I don't understand why he's not working. Instead, he's at a party. Sometimes I just think they do it to rub it in our face. I'll be completely honest with you. It's either like rhetoric from Joe Biden or you hear sometimes Kamala Harris, definitely Secretary Blinken and Jake Sullivan and, and people like KJP. They just, I just Sometimes I just think they have pre-prepared answers to just rub it in America first face. They've gotten so divisive and said this is going to be the driving point. It's going to be an us first them election in 2024. And, and if that's the way it's going to be, they're just going to continue down these roads. Unfortunately, it's starting to turn into, you know, real wars and, and things of that nature. And at that point, you know why they get to do it is because the media doesn't push back. They I don't. grew up in a day 
where the media in Washington would hold all politicians to account. So when they did crazy things, when they did radical things, when they when they didn't caretake the United States, they would be mocked yep. and it would be highlighted to the American people. Now you've got people like John Carl, <laughs> who is the Washington reporter. I think he's the bureau chief, but the Washington reporter for ABC News and his entire social media is about President Trump. Yep. It's crazy. Well, we are going to touch on that as, as I'm ready, getting ready to ask you. It's going to be the final thing I'm going to touch with you on. Ambassador, you can't say that President Trump hasn't had a big primary season, but a massive weekend with two huge events in Nevada this weekend. He started off the week strong in Iowa. Listen, he got probably one of the biggest endorsements we're going to see for the entire uh, you know, primary season, and that's coming from former HUD Secretary Dr. Ben Carson, who's a great friend of this show. He's going to be joining us on our Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast this week again, so we're going to be able to touch on, on you know, what went into his thoughts behind that. Listen, when you see how strong President Trump has just dominated this primary, it was never going to be a question, but it was just going to be how big. He's setting a new precedent how for someone in between terms could jump back into an election cycle and just absolutely dominate because he followed through on the promises he made to the American people. It's a direct compare and contrast to things like Kevin McCarthy, who made a whole bunch of promises last January and then was booted 10 months later because he didn't fulfill any of them. It seems like the American people, at the very least, are starting to wake up for that. But when you see President Trump just continuing to gain strength, the amount of things he's looking to add to Agenda 47, and how more than likely, I'm not putting words in your mouth, that you're probably going to be a part of that in some context. We'll just put it out there as that. How excited are you to see heading into, you know, now just a little bit outside of a year from when we go to the ballot box, President Trump resonating this strong with the American people, even in head-to-head matchups with Joe Biden? I mean, let's talk about Ben Carson for a second. Absolutely. Um, such an inspiration so smart, uh, calm, uh, thoughtful, godly. I just, I can't say enough great things about Ben Carson. I I would hope that, uh, you know, an actual brain surgeon like <laughs> Ben Carson um, would, and he's such a patriot, I hope that he would consider the idea of, run, of uh, joining the Trump administration sure. again. I, I could see him as a vice president. I, th- I think he would be incredible. Um, and so I hope when you interview him that you, uh, you push him a little bit about, you know, we will, you know, we will. (laughs) Um, but, but I think the, the American people would benefit from somebody like him when he endorsed president Trump. I mean, it was, it was such an amazing, uh, moment to see him step out and do that. Uh, I, I just see so many superstars that have come out, uh, for president Trump and people who are really brave and courageous. I think it's getting very exciting. I do think that the rest of the field needs to recognize they're not going to beat President Trump. So sure. save money and help defeat Joe Biden. Our country is really at a point where we need to be united. And and I hope that people understand that the vanity project of trying to uh, unseat President Trump is just not going to work. Save your money and help us defeat Joe Biden. Do you think Ron DeSantis ever recovers from this presidential primary cycle after? Yeah, I mean, even yesterday on the PBD podcast, they, they were like showing the meme of the boot lifts to his face. And then they did the Make America Great Again commercial that he did when he ran for governor the first time. And he just looked absolutely mortified sitting there. I, I just I don't see how he, how he bounces back from this. Yeah, it's hard to see because he's so um, right now he seems really bitter. Yeah. The campaign is really in a tailspin. Uh, I'm not sure that they raised a lot of money in their super PAC, not for him, 
but the outside group has quite a bit of money. So they're going to try to prop him up. Um, but, you know, he's now in single digits. He's falling to third. He was in fourth place in New Hampshire. Um, I, I, I do think that this is a crisis for him and his people. But let me just say one thing. I've done uh, five, maybe six presidential races. I have to go back and count. Um, and the reality is, is that there's a whole bunch of consultants who get really rich. They get, you know, 10, 20, 30, $40,000 a month in consulting fees. And these consultants are the ones who are sitting around the table. And when the question comes up of like, how are we doing? Should we, you know, stop the campaign? Um, if you're making thirty, forty thousand dollars a month, your answer is no. <laughs> no, we shouldn't stop this. Uh, it's going to get better. Let's let's you know give it another four or five more months. Sure. Um, these consultants can be uh, really detrimental to the reality of a campaign. No, you're right. And, and we pointed out to our listenership all the time, just in the domestic consulting class for the 2022 midterm election cycle, there was not a presidential nominee at the top of the ticket. So that's just governors, senators, and house representatives, $70 million exchanged hands for the consulting class. And when, when you look at the non-red wave that happened on the conservative side, and I'm just talking about on the Republican side, that, that seems like a well-inflated amount of cash exchanging hands for not the results that we wanted uh, back in 2022. But- yep. Can I make one point on that? Go ahead. To me. Um, I'm uh, co-chairing Bernie Moreno's race in Ohio. I'm helping Carrie Lake in Arizona. I'm all in with Abe Hamaday on his congressional race. Um, there's a couple of different sure. people that I'm helping, and I don't take a single penny. And I don't, and I say that only not to, you know, I, I make money in other areas in private practice. Uh, so I'm I'm blessed. But I say that only to say that that I do believe that you've got to ask some of these people who are pushing candidates whether or not they're being paid. Yep. Because if they're being paid, then it's a job and they've, they've got to do it. For the people who aren't being paid, and I would, you know, I know Cash Patel, my friend Cash, Great friend doesn't get paid nope. to do endorsements uh, and and help and do fundraisers. He does it because he believes in these candidates. And, and I hope that we get to the point where the media and others will ask people, are you being paid by this campaign? Because I think it's a really important, important transparency moment. No, it certainly is. You know, we've got Abe and Carrie scheduled for the month of November already. And I just got Bernie Moreno's cell phone number this week from a friend out in Ohio. I'm going to be reaching out to him and make sure we get him on the show for this primary season and then up through the general election next year. We want to have all these America First candidates as much as we did in 2022, if not more, propped up so everybody in our listenership and the America First listenership are hearing them on a regular basis and we could get them out and uh, get their message across so we get everyone over the finish line in 2024 to help President Trump out when he takes back the White House. Awesome. Ambassador, this has been great sitting down with you today. Obviously, we're going to live link your socials in the show description for anyone that wants to follow you and continue to check you out, all the good work that you've been doing and all of the great candidates that you're going to be helping. Where can they find you? Uh, Twitter and Instagram is at Richard Grinnell and truth is at Grinnell, G-R-E-N-E-L-L. I love it. And we love it when you come and join us on the show. This is the former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. He brought a little diplomacy to the show today. Perfect. Absolutely. Mr. Rick Grinnell, thanks for joining us and have a great day. All the best, thank you. I want to make clear Israel's position regarding a ceasefire. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. 
calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war, a war for our common future. Today we draw a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. It is a time for everyone to decide where they stand. Israel will stand against the forces of barbarism until victory. I hope and pray that civilized nations everywhere will back this fight. Because Israel's fight is your fight. Because if Hamas and Iran's axis of evil win, you will be their next target. That's why Israel's victory will be your victory. But make no mistake, regardless of who stands with Israel, Israel will fight until this battle is won. And Israel will prevail. May God bless Israel. And may God bless all those who stand with Israel. That was a statement from Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu yesterday, alluding to the fact that there's been a lot of rhetoric coming from around the Western world calling for Israel to minimize civilian casualties while expanding their war effort into Gaza in combating Hamas on their own turf. And again, we've explained this to you guys in extent throughout the course of, you know, the last couple of weeks of shows that we had. It's not up to myself or Noah when he's here, any of the guest co-hosts that come in. Obviously, the commentators that we bring in as guests for interviews are going to give you their perspective on it. But it's not my responsibility to tell you how you should feel about the situation, how much money should we spend over there, how much in solidarity should we stand with Israel as a nation. I have my own convictions, and you know, but it's not my responsibility to go out there and tell you that that's the way you feel just because you listen to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. The fact of the matter is, is you have to see how this situation is developing in real time, see a lot of already the debunked lies that have come out of the situation, especially from the Hamas side in this, and then... Watch the way that our own government has acted. Watch the way that the United Nations has acted in uh, almost retaliation against the nation of Israel. And then, you know, take all the information in. Maybe you even have to pray on it and then make a reasonable deduction on how you feel about this whole situation. I get a little nervous about the foreign aid. Um, you know, we're going to be able to take a, a really good perspective jump into this with Newsweek senior editor at large, Josh Hammer, in just a bit as he's coming in to round out the show today. Absolutely phenomenal group of America firsters we have in here and you know you just have to be able to take into consideration that this is a continuously developing story that's been going on a lot longer than before October 7th 2023 and it's it's really something difficult to talk about I try my hardest to go back and kind of recapture the feelings and emotions and snapshots I have in my own personal memories in the wake of 911 um, I was well into my adulthood then and, and you know, wasn't like a child or someone who's going to have a less photographic uh, image of the way the day unfolded in our response after. But, you know, as someone who almost exclusively covers politics now, especially in the Beltway and, and dealing with all the geopolitical aspects of the way our decisions here in the homeland affect the rest of the world, I'm trying to weigh the consequences on, on how much involvement and how much of our intrusiveness into Israel's foreign and domestic policies, can this take the United States um, down on a road which I don't want to see another 20-year war develop out of. And when you see the developments that have happened over the weekend with Turkey saying that they would essentially send their military 
through the Middle East into Gaza to fight Israel in Israel. And when you see how Iran has been quarterbacking this whole thing, it's alarming. You know, and how Iran's close proxies to Russia and China and, and their both involvement in the you know situation down in Ukraine. It, it pulls on the heartstrings of, of not only Americans, but it, it kind of, you know, pulls the levers of our politicians as well. Someone who's always outspoken on things like this is uh, South Carolina Senator, <laughs> the real life Mr. Garrison, Lindsey Graham. Just based off what you heard from Prime Minister Netanyahu right there, let's see his reaction to it in real time on Fox News yesterday. Let me just tell you about the UN right now. It is the most anti-Semitic body on the planet. To ask Israel to have a ceasefire after their people were slaughtered more viciously than the Nazis, having children beheaded, women raped in front of their parents. The UN is wrong. Here's when we'll have a ceasefire, when Hamas ceases to be a threat to Israel. Then and only then will we'll have a ceasefire. Well, there was that. Pretty funny that boomer sweat Sean Hannity was giving him the curtain call as he really got into frothing at the mouth over the fact that the military and industrial complex will continue to go burnt uh, as long as America keeps funding these foreign wars. And, and again, my, my personal feelings are on that. Whether When it comes to things like the Iron Dome, and replenishing their stockpile there after incurring over 10,000 rocket attacks since October 7th. And with the perspective that if Hezbollah gets into this, they could fire up to 100,000 rockets at Israel. You know, that's definitely something that we should be taking great stock in. But when it comes to, like, American soldiers or even, you know, setting up some kind of uh, security or anything on the ground outside of Gaza to assist Israel, I'm a little reluctant there. You know, when you talk about American men and women dying on foreign lands for something that we won't be at war with, not saying that we're not fighting against it, at least the ideology at the very least, but that we're not in a declared war on, you know, you have to be able to make your own decisive reasoning onto how much you want to invest in this. The the anti-Semitism that's going on across this country right now is some of the most disgusting. I'm always one of these people, and me personally, that's been like, you know, I don't really see the the what the goals of racism is or, the, you know, you want to reverse that, the implementation of DEI and things like the 1619 Project and critical race theory. It's like one promotes hate in one direction and the other one combats that hate with even worse hate in in real time. And, and at the end of the day, it's like the right men and women, there are only two genders, should be competing and partaking in, like, the things that they're proficient at to make everything run better it shouldn't just be because you are a this that or other man or woman or you're this that or other color or you're this that or other race or religion or creed or whatever it's it you know it's 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 one of the biggest virtue signals that we have out there you have the whole trans pandering that's going on right now that's kind of thrown this all into a tussle as well and that's just the world we live in i hope seeing that promoting so much dei essentially here in America has allowed all of this anti-Semitism to rear its ugly head in the form of massive protests against not the nation of Israel, but just Jews in general across America and throughout the world as like, you want to keep taking it and never know when to pump the brakes with stupid shit like DEI and CRT. Now you're reaping the fruits of that, which is hate in another direction. So you've combated hate with hate. And now you have, you know, these disgusting things happening all over our country. It's just, 
it's not the time. We're so much more of an advanced civilization than this. And people wonder why we can't get something as simple as a border security bill through the House of Representatives, up through the Senate and signed by Joe Biden. Walk out into the street of any American city right now, and there's your answer. Their failed politics have, have taken this country down a path that it's going to take decades to get back on. Obviously, we could start that off on a pretty good foot next year when everybody goes and votes for Donald Trump next year, but that's neither here nor there. Sticking to this thread right now, I did see something that broke in the news today. It's going to directly tie everything we were working on uh, up and through our Coach Tuberville interview into context today. Uh, some news that just broke on CNN. Let's check it out. And the commandant of the Marine Corps, General Eric Smith, suffered an apparent heart attack, according to reporting from the New York Times. The Senate only confirmed Smith for that job late last month, or last month, I should say, but he's actually been doing two jobs for months, his oh. new one and the old one, because his would-be deputy hasn't been confirmed. Oh. And that is because Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama is blocking the Senate from what are usually perfunctory votes of grouped nominations of hundreds of general and flag officers across the military. Oh. He says he's doing it because he opposes the Pentagon's abortion travel policy, a policy, by the way, that these generals and admirals had nothing to do with adopting because that's the purview of civilian leaders of the military. Now, to be clear, we have no way of knowing that the stress of these demands contributed to General Smith's health emergency, but safe to say it did not help. Smith himself telling oh. the Marine Corps Times last month, quote, it is not a sustainable thing when the last thing you do is flip your computer off at 1130 at night and you're getting up at five o'clock in the morning. General Smith is now receiving care, according to the Marine Corps, as they scramble to fill the void. Because as I mentioned, Smith does not have a confirmed deputy. The Senate hasn't confirmed an assistant commandant of the Marine Corps, hat tip Tommy Tuberville. Oh, the senior most general at Marine Corps HQ, Lieutenant General Karsten Heckel, is now filling in for Smith. And Heckel was already doing two jobs because yet again, Tommy Tuberville's holds according to military.com. Oh. So now General Heckel's responsible for what, four jobs? The whole affair actually so confusing that the Marine Corps announced that Heckel would be acting commandant and then had to correct itself and say that Heckel would just be performing the duties of the commandant. Oh. That is not a flex of military strength at a time when the U.S. is trying to stop the war between Israel and Hamas from ballooning into a broader conflict in the Middle East. Man, that is some groundbreaking journalism from the folks over at Fake News CNN. You know, back in World War II times... I believe we had like four, maybe five, six, at the most seven, four stars throughout our military when we wielded American might across the globe like we never had before. I believe, you know, with all of these Senate confirmations that Coach Tuberville has held up, I believe they're going to balloon the number over 50 now. And our military has reduced in size and uh, essentially in stature throughout the course of the Biden administration, to say the very least. These people in these branches of the American federal government just go and continue to make like promotionary positions for themselves and then just add it into the ranks of the, the utmost brass within our American armed forces. Listen, we're not taking out of context anything that happened to this general in the fact that he had a heart attack. Feel bad for him. God bless him. And I hope he makes a swift and full recovery. But the fact of the matter is, if you think that his desk job has anything to do with him having a heart attack when, you know, 
and, and putting the blame on someone like Senator Tuberville, that's just absolutely ridiculous. This is just another hit job to throw into the process that the you know mainstream media portrays as the mouthpiece for the Biden administration to make anything that looks America first or when you have a congressman and woman, a, a senator who wants to stick to his convictions, you heard it today, and he ain't budging. So, you know, as although this news is breaking, I can almost guarantee you he won't be rushing to the Senate floor to confirm any of these people. And we all hope and pray for Coach Tuberville and that he continues to hold the line and for what he campaigned on moving forward. So I do want to segue a little bit. I did mention that there was some committee work being done in the U.S. Senate today. So it looks like FBI Director Ray, who's always looking to get out of these committee meetings because he's got a thing somewhere. He's got to catch a plane. We remember from the dramatic back and forth between him and uh, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley from earlier in the year. And then Ali Alejandro Mayorkas were up answering questions about the wide-open U.S. border, how operationally secure it isn't, and now the increasing threat of terrorism coming through those gaping gaps in our southwest border. We're going to jump in right here with Senator Roger Marshall hammering Alejandro Mayorkas. And I hope you guys enjoy this little piece here. Do Americans feel they're more safe today or less safe today under the policies of this administration? Senator, we are taking it to the cartels, to the traffickers of fentanyl in an unprecedented way with more resources and uh, more efficient and productive um, operations than ever before. But you would agree with me that Americans feel less safe today than they did before the start of this administration. And your testimony has always solidified the view that American people, that they don't have confidence in the job that you're doing. This is why I believe the defining issue in this next election is going to be exactly this. Are our families safer today than they were three years ago? So as you can hear, a complete dodge of the question, and then the standard Alejandro Mayorkas answer. Remember, he only has two of them, and they are, um, I don't have the data, or um, the border is uh, operationally safe and secure. And, and those are the only two things that he's got. Now, remember, the former co-captain of the Beverly Hills men's varsity tennis team Alejandro Mayorkas has done nothing but lie out of both sides of his mouth for the entirety of his public service. He was a disgraced former head of CIS who had paper-flay visas with the princes of Saudi Arabia, had some funny business going on with the governor of New Jersey and some visas for international uh, soccer players, did some shit with Hillary Clinton's brother. Long story short, he wound up disgracefully stepping down from his job at CIS before going under the radar and making millions and millions of dollars promoting open border policies to all of these globalist think tanks before reemerging and getting instantly confirmed on the first try through the Senate and into the Biden administration. So a little self-induced pain on, on behalf of, uh, you know, everyone that voted him in there, but I couldn't imagine anyone that's done a worse job, Joe Biden included, than Alejandro Mayorkas has done throughout the course of this administration. Josh Hawley was uh, not really having it either. His back and forth with Alejandro Mayorkas apparently didn't stay within chambers of the Senate today and their committee work because uh, another story that's breaking right now as we're getting ready to wrap the show here is that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell went after Missouri Senator Josh Hawley in a closed-door GOP meeting today. 
because Josh Hawley had signed on to an end of the Citizens United bill, a bill which essentially allows, I guess, dirty and dark money to come into campaigns, which allow people that the globalists want, even on the Republican side, to make it to the House of Representatives and to the Senate. McConnell told Hawley the only reason he's in the Senate is because McConnell-backed Citizen United funds, which accepts unlimited contributions, contributed to Josh Hawley winning his races. And Mitch McConnell went on to warn anyone who signs on will get heavy incoming heat from the right. So it looks like Mitch McConnell is going to be looking for primary challengers for Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. Here's all I have to say to that. Good fucking luck. He's one of the best ones we have up there. It seems like he's pretty well loved in the show me state as well. So he went head to head with Alejandro Americas today and brought some charts, which you won't be able to see on the podcast, but you'll hear him referencing in this clip right here. Conscience haunt your dreams until your last breath. Palestine will be free one day. F apartheid Israel and is any Israeli. What, this is pretty extreme rhetoric, don't you think? Senator, um, I do, and I think there is a distinction between espousing or endorsing terrorist oh. ideology oh. and oh. Uh, speech oh. uh, that is uh, odious, oh. that does not rise to that um, level. Fair enough. This person works for you. Mm. This is... Nuja Ali, an employee of the Department of Homeland Security, yep. who posted these comments on October the 7th. That's not all she posted. She also posted this graphic. Now, this is a fake graphic, I want to be clear, but I think we understand it. This is a paraglider, a Hamas paraglider, depicted here with a machine gun flying into Israel. She posted it under her online alias, with the celebratory free Palestine. Mr. Secretary, what, what's going on here? Is this, is this typical of, of people who work at DHS? This is an asylum and immigration officer Fantastic. who is posting these, frankly, pro-genocidal slogans and images on the day that Israelis are being slaughtered in their beds. And, you know, I don't have the full clip or, or the back and forth, but, of course, Alejandro Marcus essentially was like, um... I am not aware of the specific situation which you are referencing to which Holly cut him off. And there was a pretty lively back and forth before Alejandro Marcus again failed to answer the question. The question in turn, which is, why does this woman still have a job? This is an asylum senior manager who oversees finalizing the signage of illegals coming into this country, not just from Mexico. Remember, that is the probably smallest demographic of people who are crossing the U.S. southern border now. You're talking about those 150, 60-some-odd countries worth of people coming in here, and it's from every terrorism hotspot and cartel-connected you know, avenue on the planet. And the fact that these massive cartels in Mexico and southern and Central America work hand-in-hand with the international terrorist groups using money from drugs and all the trafficking that's going on to, to finance their terrorism around the world and the connectivity tissue that's there, and, and the fact that Alejandro America's even alluded to the fact that they're taking it to the cartels that they ever had before. Oh. I'm going to garrison myself for that and even just throw out an apparatus because it's such a level of bullshit like one most people have never heard before. you know. And, and, and this is the kind of stuff that's going on because for as much and revealing as these committee meetings can be, they gavel out. And these people go back to work, sometimes probably with a pissed off chip on their shoulder and make the situation even worse than it was before they entered the chamber this morning. So we're going to continue in this thread right now. We had some great numbers 
come across the board, and even one that's in agreement with some of the suggestions that congressmen and women, senators, even President Trump has alluded to, the amount of getaways and, and people who have crossed the country illegally without being apprehended in any way, shape, or form and are now just in the wind in the United States. I was actually shocked to hear Alejandro Mayorkas refer to this, but let's hear it out of his mouth. How many gotaways did CBP record in fiscal year 2023? I believe, um, Senator, that number is over 600,000. And as I'm sure you are well aware, uh, the, oh. the phenomenon of gotaways is something that phenomenon. Uh, has been a challenge uh, for the Department of Homeland Security for decades. In okay. fact, it is a powerful example oh, oh, of uh, a broken oh, immigration oh, system. Th- that th- thank you. Mm. Passing the buck. Even though there, were, there was a year where zero people on the terrorist watch list came into the United States. And Donald Trump had like, I believe his best year was when less than half a million people were encountered coming into the United States. That's encountered. That's apprehended at less than a million. This jerk-off is alluding to the fact that his organization has put out, they can confirm that over 600,000 getaways have come into the United States unabated. Imagine what the real numbers are. Imagine what the real numbers are. That's just from last year. When you combine all three years of the Biden administration and then that the numbers that they're telling you are the actual ones. I'd probably say that that number he, he read off from last year is probably roughly around, not 600,000, probably 1.6 million gotaways just last year. It's wild. It's wild. And we all know what's going to happen. And, you know, we're breaking it down here and getting ready to jump in with Josh Hammer. I want to remind everybody where you're listening to the podcast today. Hope you had a great time. Hope you're loving it. We really need you to help us out for our 100% free content. Follow the show. Make sure it's downloading on your device, whether it's a home computer, a laptop, a cell phone, whatever. Subscribe to the show. It's 100% free. We'll never ask you for a dime. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and then social medias, Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, Instagram. Pretty easy. Find the Stake for Records account, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Getting ready to wrap it up here on this big Halloween edition of the show today. We did have some tricks or treats, not Tony Blinken dressing up his really young child as Vladimir Zelensky. I miss the Trump minion with the candy bars on top of the head. That was such a, it was such a simpler time, and we were so much safer. We're going to round out here with Christopher Ray, who is sitting alongside Alejandro Mayorkas, alluding to the fact that not only are we no longer safe and secure, but we can pretty much expect something like a Hamas-led terrorist event to happen somewhere in the United States because of the broken border policies. Let's hear him. But as I said a few moments ago, on top of the homegrown violent extremists and domestic violent extremists threat, we also cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. We have kept our sights on Hamas and have multiple ongoing investigations into individuals affiliated with that foreign terrorist organization. Fantastic. I mean, we already know how the gang here at Steak for Breakfast feels about those two guys, especially when you get two of the absolute shining star winners like Christopher Ray and Alejandro Mayorkas across the desk from some of our most America first senators in a committee hearing and how we feel about them. Fuck you. 
I hate you. And the fact of the matter is, is they hate you too. And, you know, their open border policies have led to everything that's going wrong in this country right now. The homelessness, the drug epidemic, the rampant crime, the economy, the wages pushed down, the devaluation of the dollar. And then that spills over into all the geopolitics, our failing foreign policy. Do you think any of these leaders want the United States to come in and protect them from anything except giving them a blank check when we can't even protect our own sovereignty? It's wild. It's wild. And we're going to continue to bring you the honest commentary, the impactful analysis, and the America First stories that you need to hear on the show. We're getting ready to wrap things up right now as we're going to be jumping in with Newsweek Editor-at-Large, Mr. Josh Hammer. But before we do that, let's check in one more time with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the senior editor at large for Newsweek. He also has a podcast which bears his name. I'm not going to spoil it because I'm about to introduce Mr. Josh Hammer. Thanks for joining us on the show again. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, we have such a great amount of things to talk about, Josh. I mean, it seems like without even having you on since the attack on Israel October 7th, we had already kind of laid it out for something like this to happen in the Middle East. Obviously, the unspeakable tragedy that happened when Hamas attacked Israel inadvertently back a couple weeks ago has, has kind of sent the entire world, especially the Middle East, into, I would say, probably more than a tussle. And, you know, for as much focus has been spent on Ukraine and Russia and the geopolitical implications of that, you add the Middle East popping off onto that docket, and it seems like just a recipe for disaster. I saw your latest podcast, which we are going to continue to plug throughout this segment, came out today, and it says, you know, essentially we're keeping all eyes and focus on the Middle East. So let's just stay there with uh, your fair and honest assessment of it. Well, look, I mean, what is there to say that hasn't already been said? I mean, it's been three and a half weeks since the Hamas Holocaust, the single largest slaughter of, of Jews since the defeat of Nazi Germany. Um, you know, as as I think we've probably discussed in your show before, I'm getting married in less than two months. My fiance is Israeli. Her oldest brother lives just a few miles from the Gaza border. I mean, this is hit. This is hit home in a very personal way, and it's it's been hard, frankly, to think about much else over the past few weeks, not just what's happening actually in Israel and Gaza, but also just the global repercussions and the shockwaves that have been felt all, all throughout the world. I guess just to make one high level observation, you know, you're talking there a little bit about Russia and Ukraine. I think many of us correctly have been talking a lot about the rise of communist China and the massive threat that China poses to the United States. But all of this has been a reminder that the tinderbox that is the Middle East never went anywhere. Right. Um, it, it, on, I, on the contrary, it has stayed right there. And on the contrary, the forces of global jihadism, I mean, these the same forces of genocidal, radical Islamic terrorism have certainly not gone anywhere. I think it was very easy for us to forget about it for a little while because 
it didn't seem that much or to rear its ugly head in the West, in Europe or North South America. But here it is. And at this point, you know, what's really been deeply not just sobering, but frankly, just terrifying to me is kind of just seeing all of this footage, all of these video clips everywhere from the Chechnya airport there in southern Russia to the streets of London, England, to our own university campuses here in the United States. You know, we in the West have imported the enemy within us through this idiotic globalism, liberalism, this fantastical notion that open borders will ultimately yield a better society that you can essentially solve falling Western birth rates and the demographic issue by importing large numbers of people from a foreign culture, foreign religion, foreign way of life who don't share your values. Uh, We have done it. Our leaders bear a ton of blame for that. And, you know, I can tell you as a Jew who, who lives here, who, you know, when I go to shul, when I eat at kosher restaurants, I mean, we are bearing the brunt of those idiotic, completely boneheaded decisions. The anti-Semitism has never been anywhere near this bad. I mean, I mean, I I just cannot believe what I am seeing. It's horrifying stuff. I, I mean, I, I think a lot of folks kind of in like the Anti-Defamation League in that circle have probably cried wolf for a number of years. But this is not crying wolf. This this is real. And it is it is really, really bad. And um, unfortunately, I, I don't think our president is anywhere near capable of addressing this the way that it needs to be addressed. That is for sure. No, I mean, when you see the amount of people protesting in places like the streets of London, the capital of Germany, and then here in places like New York City, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., etc. The amount of inflammatory hatred that's been proprieted on some of the biggest and most historic college campuses, I'm, I'm, you know, just off the top of head, Cornell, Columbia, Harvard, etc., I, I just can't believe that this, especially this administration here, which is proprieted DEI, equity for everybody, you know, we have to prop up everything. And then you see this stuff just going absolutely unchecked. Josh, what is it that the American people are missing here? It, it just simply can't be the amount of people on student visas and people with green cards who are, you know, organizing these hateful events and, and you know, proprieting hate crimes across the country. It has to be something bigger than that. I mean, some of these NGOs that formulate themselves inside of the United States obviously add to the equation. But what do you think it is that something like this has been able to fester for so long in the United States that now it's just prevalent on almost every street in America? So I think there's a lot of factors at work here. Um, Obviously, part of it is the immigration problem. Obviously, we have imported large numbers of people who do not share our values, who do not share America's traditional Judeo-Christian kind of philo-Semitic sympathies. I mean, just I I don't want to go too off course here, but just to kind of instill that point. You know, the American founding generation, they were obviously Christians and, you know, some of whom were theologically heterodox. Some of them were a little more theologically orthodox. Many of them were were genuinely philo-Semitic. I mean, I mean, George Washington wrote this absolutely beautiful letter to the Jews of Newport, Rhode Island in 1790, where he famously said, you know, every Jew here shall live under his own vine and fig tree and shall never be afraid. You know, Benjamin Franklin famously proposed that, that the actual national seal of the United States would be Moses parting the Red Sea, the story of Exodus. Uh, Abraham Lincoln called America an almost chosen people, clearly kind of hearkening back to the ancient Israelites. So, you know, I could go on and on here, but because of demographics and immigration, the country has just fundamentally changed um, in recent decades in very, very important and and in some ways very pernicious ways. So that obviously is part of it. And I think in many ways, I, I wrote a piece for the Daily Mail, the excellent British publication a couple of weeks ago, and I basically said that in many ways, this is also just the chickens of leftist 
academic theory coming right. home to roost. I mean, the campus radicals from the 1960s, 1970s, they are the ones who laid the poisonous seeds of this with all the talk of intersectionality, critical theory. For, for ge multiple generations now, the left in America has thought of Israel as this you know, colonialist, imperial white guy surrounded by brown guys. And I, all of it is nonsense. I mean, you have an informed audience, but it's probably worth pointing out that, you know, even taken on its own terms, that argument is laughable because, first of all, Israel is not a colonizer. I mean, that land is literally the Jews. If you want to go back thousands of years, they were there thousands of years before the creation of Islam. If you want to play that card. Correct. Alternatively, you, you know, you could look at the actual Jews of Israel. Most of them are, are not of European descent. Most of them actually are of Arab Middle Eastern descent, like my fiance's family that, you know, they're, they're darker skinned. I mean, that's very common in Israel. So it, it falls on basically all of the left's own terms. Funny enough, but those are still the terms on which the left approaches this conflict. It's through this, this intersectional lens where they're kind of approaching it the same way, the same way that they would approach a Black Lives Matter domestic protest. It's the same toxic mentality. I think all of the above there, Israel has just been the enemy on the left for so long there, and it's just it's just exploding in, in a really disgusting way. No, it's it's so ironic to see things happening in America right now, Josh. One of the correlations I kind of do it is you have a mob of anti-Israeli Jewish hate, like, you know, flash mob walking past the building where the General Lee statue is being melted down. And it's like our dilution and erasure of history for generations has clouded the waters to the point to where it's like the next big thing just turns into the next big hate. And, and it seems like now that they've gone and, and ruined, you know, and, and tried to erase and dilute American history and all of the growing pains that we went to to become this large free republic, they're doing the same thing now to the Jewish race, to the Jewish culture, its ethnicity, its, its historical ties to its own land and, and the fact of the matter is is that you have a bunch of uninformed people kind of collaborating now with those who really do propriate hate and what it's turned into is just a mass i can't even put words on it something that i haven't seen before and it's just absolutely disheartening to see yeah and the onus now falls on leaders to combat it and yep. that's never historically been a particularly good bet i mean i take some solace in the fact that you know, I live in a red state. I live in Florida where it's not as crazy as it is like at Cornell and upstate sure. New York, places like that. So I, I definitely personally take some solace. But I can tell you just from anecdotal experiences driving around here, looking at kind of the, the kosher supermarkets, the restaurants, obviously the shuls, the synagogues, you know, security, Jewish security for Jewish events is is the highest that it has been. In, in my memory, I mean, in, in my adult lifetime. And, you know, that fear is more than justified. I mean, seeing what we're seeing around the country right now, and it is going to be up to the leaders to combat this. And right now, a lot of them are saying the right things. I mean, Kathy Hochul, the Democratic governor of New York, is saying some of the right things about these exterminationist threats to kill the Jews that we've seen at Cornell University. But again, actions are going to speak a heck of a lot louder than words. I mean, just this morning, I saw that Harvard University was putting out this new advisory board on right. rooting out anti-Semitism on campus. I don't know how they're going to do that without dismantling, you know, DEI and without dismantling wokeism and critical theory, because that's ultimately the root cause of yep. a lot of what's going on here. That is how you get people marching around campus saying that the Jews are colonizers. They must be this, that. I mean, it's, it's all coming from this same toxic woke place. And it's just this horrific, horrific combination of wokeism and and radical Muslims. I don't really know how else to say it, honestly. And again, the leaders can address it, 
or they cannot. I fear that, as is so often the case, this crisis, and yes, it is a crisis, our leaders will have a very short memory and that they will probably quickly move on to the next thing. And that's just a tragic outcome for us Jews, frankly, if if that is the case. And to make it even worse, I hate to be such a pessimist, but to make it even worse, most of the American institutional Jewish leadership is also not very well equipped to handle this problem because mo- a lot of the major Jewish orgs like the ADL have been so captured by left wing ideology. So yep. they're uniquely ill suited to combat this, which I think only exacerbates our predicament right now. No, and I think, you know, I already see the next thing kind of ramping up before they eventually move on to the next, next thing, and that is the curtailing that the Biden administration and its failed foreign policies across the globe had, I believe, directly led to or contributed majorly to the attack that Hamas committed on Israel. And and not only that, Josh, but now since the incident and as Israel goes through their, you know, stages and phases of the war that they've declared on Hamas, it's been the Biden administration that's kind of rallied our international allies, or at least the ones who still say they're friendly with us left to, to kind of try and put the restraints on Israel coming from a country where, you know, after 9-11, we engaged in two 20-year wars after right. what happened in New York City and at the Pentagon, obviously in rural Pennsylvania. But the fact of the matter is, is that how dare we just kind of kind of trample over this nation's foreign policy and right to sovereignty after the slaughter that happened there less than a month ago? So there's a lot going on here. I mean, I, I agree. I agree with all of you, of course. So You know, this actually underscores why some of us have taken the contrarian and frankly minority position for years, where many of us, myself included, have been skeptical of annual U.S. aid to Israel. Now, APAC, a lot of the major pro-Israel lobby groups actually support that aid for, you know, fairly self-evident reasons. But I have argued for a long time that that aid is actually counterproductive because from a U.S. perspective, it, it essentially amounts to subsidizing the military industrial complex and defense contractors like Boeing and North of Grumman. And from the Israeli perspective, from a kind of a Zionist perspective, it undermines Zionism and undermines Jewish self-determination in the Jews' ancestral homeland for the very simple reason that it kind of exacerbates this notion that Israel is simply a client state of the United States. I mean, put more simply and put in more concrete terms, there are massive strings attached to that aid year in and year out. And, you know, I do support some sort of emergency funding bill. The number I've seen is 14 to 15 billion. That's frankly a drop in the bucket for one of our closest allies when they are facing an existential crisis. But over the mid to long term, I, I, I do favor winding down that annual aid. So that is, I think, one problem that you're seeing here. But to your other point, look. You know, when the United States was in Iraq, I mean, you know, we could kind of Monday morning quarterback the Iraq war all day long. But but what, given that it happened when they were there on the ground in Fallujah, in urban warfare in Al-Ambar province in Iraq there. Yeah, the United States' rules of engagement were such that they were there to hunt down the savages and to kill the savages. And, you know, if there was some collateral damage, obviously, you always tried to minimize civilian casualties. But in wartime, there's going to be some collateral damage. And, you know, I fear that we in the West have forgotten what an actual war is. A war is where one side wins, the other side loses. Usually the way that that is accomplished is that the losing side ultimately unconditionally surrenders. That is what happened with Japan in World War II. That is what happened with Nazi Germany in World War II. You know, after the after the carpet bombing of Dresden in Germany in 1945, you know, uh, was the United States trying to get into a PR spat with Hitler and the Nazis as to like, you know, who could pinpoint which building had this many people? No, of course not. I mean, the question obviously is answers itself. So the U.S. is in no position whatsoever to dictate rules of engagement for Israel. It's worth pointing out that the IDF, Israel's military, for so many years now, 
it has gone so far, actually, to kind of placate, you know, Western appeals to minimize civilian casualties that they've actually undermined their own military efficiency. So one example of that would be is that they actually drop leaflets from the planes into the apartment buildings, telling the people to flee because there's Hamas weaponry in there and they're going to blow it up. That obviously undermines Israel's military objectives, but they do it anyway. So the the U.S. is in no position whatsoever to dictate any of this. Unfortunately, like I said, I do think it comes back to this annual aid and this notion that too many in the bipartisan establishment treat Israel as as a client state rather than an independent ally that should be trusted. Uh, That's a really good way to look at it. And, you know, when next thing I want to ask you on, Josh, I think it's really important. How disheartening was it to see the the U.N. General Assembly who had gotten together over the course of last week side with places like Iran, who is the, you know, the mothership of the proxies for terrorist organizations like Hamas, like Hezbollah, like the leadership that lives as billionaires in other countries and, and don't subject themselves to the you know, uh, push back from the Israeli government every time they decide to, you know, in past and before October 7th, put the restraints on when it comes to, like you said, minimizing civilian casualties, etc. But to see them vote in not favoring to condemn the attack that happened on Israel, that we live in a day and age where everything is supposed to be so woke and everyone's supposed to be so entitled and empowered to do everything. And then you have the largest governing body uh, essentially on the planet voting to say, oh, we're not going to condemn that, you know, as an organization to say that it was one of the worst tragedies that have ever happened in the history of the modern world. Look, the United Nations, I mean, you know, what is there to say about it that hasn't been said a million times already? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, I, I was thinking the other day, actually, years ago, this is well towards the end of the Obama administration. It was when he was basically out the door. Trump had already won. It was December 2016. One of the final acts of malice that the Obama administration did at the United Nations was they they didn't veto, but they failed to block a, a U.N. Security Council resolution essentially condemning all of the, quote unquote, occupied West Bank, which would include, by the way, the old city of Jerusalem, where the Kotel, the Western Wall is. I mean, the holy sites and all of Judaism happened to be there. And it was it was a true act of spite by Samantha Power and all the Obama administration adults. Yep. And I remember vividly I was on a plane from Texas to Florida. I was visiting my, my grandmother and I wrote this you know, article just full of anger on the plane. And I, I Googled it the other day just to reread it. The title of this article was Destroy the United Nations. And, you know, I think that basically, you know, seven years later now basically sums up my take, which is this organization to kind of borrow from, you know, Jabba the Hutt of Star Wars is a wretched <laughs> hive of scum and villainy. Yeah, it, it it should not be anywhere near the United States. It should have been kicked off our shores a, a very, very long time ago, anyone who takes the United Nations even remotely seriously, I, I, I think is frankly just a moron. Um, I see some people even on the right these days trying to do that. I mean, it, it's a totally worthless organization at best. It is outright evil at worst. I would much prefer to see the U.S., Israel, all of our allies just get the hell out of it, kick it off our shores and damn the whole thing to hell. No, it's the truth. I mean, when you see the foreign minister of Iran who's one of the quarterbacks in in these international terror groups walking the streets of New York City window shopping, protected by U.S. Secret Service last weekend. In addition to that, uh, you have Iran who's getting ready to jump into the lead chair on the Human Rights Council on November 2nd, which just absolutely blows my mind. They couldn't, you know, figuratively just taking a pass on them and, and maybe get them on the back end. But, you know, it's just absolutely wild to see and even crazier to watch in real time as this kind of, you know, unfolds and just sees the way people are showing their true colors and all of this. And it's glad to get your perspective. 
Last thing I want to touch on with you, Josh, the Senate's doing a lot of things today. They had Christopher Ray and Alejandro Mayorkas in, in Senate hearings today. Obviously, they were talking about the threat of terrorism coming across the U.S. southern border with the, you know over 8 million people that have come in, minus getaways, in the course of the last nearly three years. But they did do a vote today, and they voted for the Israeli uh Ambassador Jason Liu, he was invoked by the Senate 2344. Can you tell us what this means coming out of the Biden administration now? They've just tripped over themselves continuously on their foreign policy to add Jacob Liu to the mix now. Uh, yeah, Jack Liu, if I'm not mistaken. So so, 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 so he was pretty high up in, in the Obama administration. Yeah. He was uh, White House budget director. You know, he was a massive. Uh, you know what Jack Liu is, basically? The media never fails to report that Jack Lew is a quote-unquote Orthodox Jew. That They always describe him as a religious Jew. And what they're basically trying to do is they're trying to sanitize their policies, whether it was the Obama administration's mollycoddling of the Iranian regime then, or whether it is the Biden administration's various forays into the Middle East now. They're basically trying to sanitize their, not just wrong, but I would say outright evil ways when it comes to trying to undermine our allies in the region and bolster our enemies, the Iran, Muslim Brotherhood, and so forth. They're trying to sanitize it all by basically trotting out someone who calls himself an Orthodox Jew. And it's like, oh, okay, actually, it's really not that bad. I mean, it's not just kind of the secular leftist Jews who are supporting it, also this one religious guy. And I find that all just frankly disgusting. Um, You know, Jack Lew, when he was working for Barack Obama, went out of his way if I'm not mistaken, I've seen I saw uh, Senator Ted Cruz talking about this. Yep. You know, Jack Lew went out of his way to make sure that as part of the JCPOA, as part of the Iranian nuclear deal, that Iran was able to fairly easily access Western financial institutions, stock exchanges, markets, more generally, things like that. He went out of his way in his capacity with the OMB in the, in the Obama White House to essentially allow Iran more access to the global economy in general. And, you know, I don't care if you're Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever. If you're bad on policy, you're bad. I mean, I think Jack Lew should have been voted down. I thought that was a fairly easy vote here. Unfortunately, I think it just suggests that there is more of the same to come when it, you know, in the months ahead when it comes to the Biden administration's approach to the region. I fear that they probably have have not learned anything. Biden's initial initial okay rhetoric on on the conflict notwithstanding no that's it and, and, and you know joe biden put out a, a statement today during during a press event that he was doing where he's stating that if ukraine package is not coupled to israeli package for foreign aid then he's not approving them he's not doing standalone bills so it seems like where the senate is now tripping over themselves saying like okay we got to get everything for israel taken care of so let's just you know senate approve the ambassador joe biden saying like well hold on a minute if we can't fund my favorite foreign war we're not going to fund anybody else's foreign aid as well and it's just it, it talks about that foreign policy you mentioned the iran deal i think a lot of that it has to do with the linchpin to that was pulled which kind of opened the dam here i mean the war in ukraine has a lot of of stuff to go on with this too when you talk about russia china north korea iran all their proxies and their involvement in the region and now that's to seem to spread worldwide which is uh i'm glad we got some insight from you today josh obviously we're going to be live linking your podcast and your page in newsweek on our show description today but for anyone that wants to check you out and follow you on social media where can they find you yeah thanks for having me as always so i'm on twitter x whatever we're calling it these days as josh underscore hammer instagram josh b hammer you can check out my 
show, the Josh Hammer Show, everywhere you get your podcast. We're actually debuting on the radio this weekend. It's very exciting. Oh, fantastic. On KTTH AM 770 Seattle. Uh, that's Jason Rance's station up there, which is very exciting for us. And I write a weekly syndicated column that's available at Newsweek or any number of right of center publications as well. That was a great episode you had on recently with Jason talking about crime across the country, especially with, you know, an emphasis up there on Seattle. And uh, I'm going to be looking forward to having you back again on the show next month. Josh, this is the senior editor at large for Newsweek and also the host of the Josh Hammer Show. Mr. Josh Hammer, thanks for joining us on the show today. Have a great rest of the week. You too. Thanks for having me. All right. First solo show in the books here. Hated doing it. Engineer. Show script. Interviews. News. No Noah. No guest host. It sucked. However, well... And Noah's probably still going to complain about everything to me in post-production, too. I didn't look at the microphone long enough. The levels weren't great. But here's the deal. If you enjoyed this episode of the Stake for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now nearly 290 other editions of the show, make sure you subscribe to us across every downloadable platform. I'm talking about Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Find the show. Make sure you subscribe. Following it. Hitting those downloads helps us out big time. Then across all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Stake for Breakfast accounts. Follow us and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down today. Florida Representative Corey Mills, U.S. Senator out of Alabama, Coach Tommy Tuberville, former U.N. Ambassador from the U.S., Rick Grinnell, and Newsweek, Editor-at-Large, host of the Josh Hammer Show, Mr. Josh Hammer. You guys all definitely helped make this edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast great again. Guys, it's a busy week, and again, I want to wish everybody... A safe one, but don't worry, we'll be back on Friday. We've got Christina Bob coming in here. We've got Rep Eli Crane coming in here. Probably a reschedule with either Lauren Bobert or Andy Ovals, maybe both. And guess what? After his endorsement of President Trump this weekend, we will have Dr. Ben Carson in here as well. So, on behalf of the pod team who's not here today, I'm Roan. Thanks for listening. Happy Halloween and take care. Genuine ostrich. Three payments. Oh! Wait, what? I'm just goofing. New boot goofing. Oh!